When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Fire Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We're here in the week of the game. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We have so many rapid fire. We did a bunch of things from our tech subscribers on the Rants pod. We're going to do a bunch on this rapid fire Q&A pod. We'll save a couple for our preview pod where we're going to make our picks for the game. We'll have Aaron McMahon from MLive.com on that pod with us. That'll be very specific about the football. So there's the football. There's the rivalry. There's the 11-0. and 0, There's the impact. There's the matchup and the contrast. There's a million things to talk about this week. We're trying to do all versions of that on Buckeye Talk. And we also will have a gambling show with Tishu uh, dropping on Thursday morning. So make sure you're tuned in for everything around that. We have talked to all the players we're going to talk to. Nathan, is there a coaches show Thursday or anything? Or is all, is all that in the house? This is all the information we're we're hearing from Ohio State people for the week we already have, correct? This is my understanding. At least, at least above, you know, official channels. We can call Ryan Day on Thanksgiving and ask him what's up. Like, what are, what are the back I'm, channels? I'm going over there. You, you weren't invited. Yeah, I know that'd be fun. That'd be like just pitch that. Like Nina, here's the pitch. Cleveland.com at the Day household on Thanksgiving. What do you think? Uh, and I and I think the answer would be no. But you you'll never find out unless you ask. So let's put that on the list of stories for next year. Let's do this. Rapid fire question from Kevin. Obviously, stopping Blake Corum is the key defensively if he plays. But if J.J. McCarthy can kill you with his scrambling, does that mean the defense needs to adjust their full-scale rush and blitzes to contain running lanes? Nathan, you wrote something about the defense, right? Um, what What is our um, understanding of what we believe may be the best plan of attack to deal with J.J. McCarthy, who, again, at times feels like he wants to run on key downs? Well, I mean, this was a topic of conversation yesterday because you know, Jim Knowles acknowledged it up front that it's it's a good problem to have in a way to have a defensive front that is this aggressive and gets after it to this extent. But that, as we saw a couple times with Ohio State this season, can sometimes you know overextend itself and and get out of position uh, relative to a quarterback who can just freelance and, and take off. So you know, Zach Harrison was asked about that yesterday in our interview session and was preaching this idea of having to rush smart and just be have an awareness of where you fit into the defense and an awareness of doing your job. And if you've got 11 guys doing that, then that sort of uh, chaotic moment can still have some control and you can maybe not be as vulnerable to getting burned by that guy using his legs. Steven, a lot of that to me, I think from a defensive end saying that, and you and I were there as Zach Harrison was saying that stuff. I was the one asking him about it. We were asked like that this idea 
that sometimes you can see ends get wide because you want to beat the tackle with the speed rush and get wide. And you have seen J.J. McCarthy. You see all kinds of quarterbacks who can move doing that where they step up in that gap between the offensive guard and the tackle where maybe they, if they stay in the pocket, maybe that edge guy is about to beat the tackle around the edge, but it's like, okay, I'm good. I'm gone. And I think when Zach talks about that, it's some of that idea of maybe you're not just absolutely bent on getting to the quarterback at all costs, that you don't want to get too wide, that you don't. And and I'll be very curious, like how much they, you know, try to play some games up front, how to stunt, right? I mean, sometimes that opens up some gaps. You want to be a wall. You want to be a wall of men, Buckeye talk, moving at this guy, right? And if you get pressure on him, great. But I, I don't know sometimes, Stephen, how great J.J. sees it at times. And letting him run is like the easy answer to the question sometimes. Ohio State wants to make J.J. McCarthy throw as much as humanly possible. And if that means you don't just put your head down and try to go sack him at all costs without any worry about what else is going on, then, yeah, they should maybe approach it that way. When I hear a rush smart and he was talking about how it's more as a unit. It's not just on one individual should just go get him. It's have some discipline with how you do things. And the word is escape hatch has been out there at, for like two weeks now since you asked Knowles all those questions. And that's how a quarterback finds his escape hatch is a defensive end doing what he's supposed to do. And he gets wide and tries to be the guy off the edge. And that leaves a wide open gaping hole at the line of scrimmage for a quarterback to run through. And so we talk about escape hatches in the run game where there's escape hatches in the pass game as well. When you have a quarterback who can scramble. So the key to that is make the scrambling quarterback, not have a place to scramble to. I would think a goal would be no third down McCarthy scrambles for first downs. If he throws it mm-hmm. on third down for conversions, okay. You know, limit the big plays, as Jim Knowles always talks about, five or fewer explosive plays in the game. Make them march, but don't give them a save this drive card by letting the guy just step up because you actually did something good. Hey, we got pressure. Um, hey, you know, we we made his life difficult, but then he just ran. So I, I think that's how I think they will. I think we will see them rush smart. And I think Zach Harrison, at, at this point in his career, Zach Harrison like knows the game. Zach Harrison knows what's up, right? But I bet that phrase, sometimes when you hear players say phrases, it's because the coaches just said those phrases to them. I would imagine the phrase rush smart might be something that is talked about in that defensive line room with Larry Johnson this week. And I think it is one of the keys to the game, those third down conversions. All right, we have to talk about C.J. Stroud. I didn't talk about C.J. Stroud on the the Rants pod at all. Nathan, just like this idea, Mike from the 805, formerly the 845 and 216. That would be, we invite the tech subscribers to list every area code you've ever lived in, but no one cares. Oh, Mike acknowledges no one cares what area code I lived in. Rant, (laughs) call me crazy, but shouldn't CJ's limp be the number one story this week? What's the deal, ace reporters? Let's ferret that out. I wonder if he's calling us the ace reporters sarcastically or everyone on the beat ace reporters. Also on Doug's recommendation, I tried my first McGriddle, no egg. And it was indeed magical. Doug, you're right. It's science, man. And you can't argue with it. Love the pod and bring back the self-referential Buckeye talk. Buckeye talk. Nathan, I don't know. Like, are we missing a story on the CJ limp? Because we were texting about that amongst ourselves. I don't know, on Sunday or Monday. What do we think that is? We did not talk to CJ this week. Right. 
we did not talk to CJ this week. So we have not had eyeballs on CJ. What do we think of that? So we did get him briefly after the game at Maryland, like outside the locker room, very briefly. And it took him a while to come out. So that may have been a treatment situation that was happening. That wouldn't surprise me. Listen, like obviously it's something our antenna is up about. We had a discussion about it amongst the three of us earlier this week and about was we saw the limping on the broadcast. Um, I didn't notice it as much as it was happening in real time, but it was definitely noticeable on the broadcast. Um, but, you know, we will keep an ear out for that, but we can't keep an eye on it because we don't get to put eyes on this team until they sh- walk through the stadium on Saturday morning or walk out of the Blackwell on Saturday morning. So we'll, we'll be looking for those things, but uh, I, I was a little surprised we didn't get him this week. I don't know that I took it as an indication of them hiding something. Um, I think he usually has a class conflict around that time. Um, of the day, although they shouldn't have classes this week, so that shouldn't have been a problem. He's taking a nap. Yeah, on Tuesdays, he had a class. <laughs> but uh, it, I think I, it's did, never... I did not read it as an, an injury thing. I did not read it right. as the quarterback's hurt, so we can't talk to you guys. I read it as potentially a mental break in a long season for a guy and, who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And I think yes, they will sometimes hold guys back because they don't want them to get all the questions he might have gotten this week about your legacy and not wanting to go own two against Michigan and a number of other things and some other things we can talk about maybe later in this episode. But uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I, you know, like what, what level, what, what number are you putting on? Like how concerned people should be about this? I don't think I'm putting a big number on it yet. What? Well, yeah. I mean, yet until, like if he's but based on what we based like on what that, we know or seen or have yet, heard, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's not really on my radar, Stephen. Like like guys limp in games sometimes. I mean, like you have like a little thing. I, I I do not think it's a huge thing. I mean, he probably took a pad. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but I, it's not on my radar either. If he was limping, it looked, he probably just took a pad to the thigh and had a dead leg for a second. It took a minute for it to wear off. But after the game on Saturday, we did talk to him. And there was no ice on anything. It didn't look like he was limping at all or having struggles doing much of anything. So I don't, I don't know. This doesn't seem, this doesn't seem like a Justin Fields 2019 situation where he got hurt the week before Penn State and it completely threw off part of what Ohio State wants to do with his quarterback. I, I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see you on Saturday though, as Nathan said. Yeah, I just, I, I don't think we're there. From the 727, I'm nearly 60 years old and I've watched the Buckeyes since I was four. Watching has never been good for my health. My dog fears me. My wife scolds me because for sure my neighbors hear me. My frustration is the continued errors in clock management, delay of games, delays in general that lead to illegal procedures. I have to remind myself that these are 19 and 20-year-old kids. We did talk about delays of game on the Rants pod. But if we truly think we can compete for a natty, these issues need to be rectified. Do you think folks are getting the idea of how to attack our offense through our coordinators, meaning if the defense scrambles enough to confuse the coordinators, the decision to run a play is delayed and therefore it trickles down? I covered that on the Rants. I want to get this is the last part of this text, why I have it here. I thought Ryan Day talked about giving CJ more control or even play calling at the line. Has that been revoked? Has CJ audibled into poor plays? I love to grind with you all and the listeners whose passion equals mine. Love you guys from the 727. So that was a discussion, Nathan, right? Preseason. Hey, what what might they give CJ? CJ what might they not give CJ? Um, what I said on the Rams podcast is I do think maybe Ryan Day and CJ Stroud at times can both overthink something in the search for a perfect play. So I think maybe that is happening. But I do think in the end, 
the vibe I think, Nathan, that we got from Ryan Day, and it's kind of said all along, is Ryan Day wants it to be a complicated offense that's simple for the players. And I think it was preseason we were talking a lot about this, given C.J. Moore control stuff. Listen, C.J. and Luke Whipler are working on the protections. C.J. absolutely is checking things. We've talked about C.J. and Marvin did a little look at each other in the Penn, Penn State game and adjusted to a slant. There's a lot of individual things, I think, where C.J. can make adjustments with individual players. But Nathan Ryan Day has talked about he doesn't want C.J.'s head to be cloudy that he doesn't want to put too much on him. He wants to be able to let him be the quarterback and not have him be the offensive coordinator. So I've been curious about like how much more, and I do think the individual wrinkles at the line of scrimmage is where that where we see that. But I, but I don't think Ryan Day wants C.J. Stroud like in control of this offense at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I think that almost is what has at times caused the issues, right? That maybe... <laughs> that because he he's they're they're they the the flow of information the flow of the play call has and Ryan Day has taken that has admitted that that's been a problem right he said that was my fault I got that in too late I I I was we were doing a check and I didn't get the call in in time but I, I think you're right that it, it he wants to have a play that goes in and and, and he executes it as opposed to letting making CJ Stroud be the one who has to diagnose everything from the end of the last play until he releases the ball on the next one. What have you thought, Steven, just of like how much how much control you think CJ has of this offense this year and what the what the right balance is? I think when they're in tempo, you see CJ in a lot more control because they're they're gone. So CJ's got to he's got to pick it up. They got to pick it up. You do see it like we saw it in the Penn State game where he's looking at where him and Marvin clearly had a connection. Where if they looked at each other a certain way, Marvin was going to run a slant instead of what he was originally supposed to run. We see it in little moments like that. We see it in moments where you know, I know this is the cool part of it where you know he suggested maybe they run a play for Cameron Babb, but. That was cool, but I'm pretty sure there have been other times where CJ is going, hey, we should get this guy involved. Hey, we should do this. Hey, we should do that. It's more of that stuff. There's still going to be times when, because there's like most college football teams run a no-auto offense, there's going to be a lot of fake the snap. Everybody looks and sees what the play call is. That's not just CJ. Every The offensive linemen are doing that too. Everybody's trying to see what the play call is. But I do think once the offense gets in a rhythm, that's when you see Ryan Day maybe take a little bit of the hands off the wheel a little bit and let CJ rock because they're in groove at that point. But early on in games or when it feels like it's a little off, I think is when you start to see the, from both the quarterback and the play caller, a lot of overthinking because they're not in a groove yet and things are thrown off because they're having penalties or the run game's not working. I do think, again, I, I had a, a, a long conversation with CJ last week and that it is a lot of, I think he really is focusing. He's looking for the little things like Ryan day has the big picture thing. And they're, they're working on like, this is schematically what's going to work. And then CJ is busting it to study all the little things, the way that a, a defensive player might be leaning or looking or foot placement or things like that. Can he figure out a little thing? And then along those lines, is there an individual tweak to a, one of the routes within a play structure, right? And like you said, Stephen, they're clearly having conversations on the sideline of Ryan Day wants to know, what are you seeing? What are you thinking? What do you feel? What do you, and, and CJ has given feedback to help Ryan Day give the big picture. But then once they get to the line, right, they're going to adjust the protection and CJ's look, but CJ's looking for a little thing from those 11 defenders in the moment that can that lead him 
to diagnose a tweak, but it's not CJ getting up there and saying, let's constantly change the play all the time, right? Ryan's got the big picture, but I mean, like tweaks, the details, man, devils in the details. So I think they have a good combination there, but I think you can go too far, right? So they just like, don't go too far. You don't have to be constantly in the search for the perfect play. I put all the CJ stuff here at the top. This is Julie from the 216. I'm still ticked at Desmond Howard and his comments at the Heisman Trophy ceremony last year. Do you think CJ is still upset? And how much of a motivating factor does it carry for him and his offensive line going into this game? Steven, I know I, I was at least around for some stuff on it, during interviews Tuesday where you were sort of asking about that, the things you heard, whether it's the Josh Gaddis toughness, finesse team conversation, whether it's the third base thing. The thing that, and again, I, I often, I have defended players. Sometimes like players will get trapped into like a guarantee or saying something that's misinterpreted and they didn't really mean it, but it gets out in a certain way. And I, we've seen Ohio State will still take that. They'll, mm-hmm. Steven, I think they take everything. So I don't know that we talked about, I don't know if anyone talked about the Desmond Howard thing on Tuesday, but I think we talked with everybody about enough other things that they hear everything and they take everything and they put it in their motivational stew yeah i tried to dress up the the born on third base thing to ryan day and he gave a pretty solid answer to it and then tim bay of course comes over the top and just outright asks, hey what'd you think of the third base thing but i think the most telling answer we got and it was three words but he's a lot bigger than me and when he looks at you deep into your soul like that you get a little nervous i asked zach harrison about that stuff and he went yeah we heard it and then you said, don't look at me like that. You're bigger than me. Yes. Because he, you in the moment, you and Zach had a moment yeah. that it felt like the next thing Zach might say is like, yeah, we heard it. Do you want to say something short stuff? Like it yeah. was like. Short stuff? Why'd you have to go there? It was like. Because Zach Harrison is Zach six Harrison. foot six, 280 That's pounds. I am not. That's, That's my why. point. Everybody's short so stuff I know next to Zach Harrison. Steven, Steven and I have had uh, have a bit of a Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart vibe from that movie, and people put our faces. But in that moment, I thought Steven and Zach Harrison had a bit of a uh, The Rock, Kevin yes. Hart vibe because they've done some movies together, which yes. is the whole vibe of that. Like Will Ferrell and, and Kevin Hart is like, hey, like there's this big goofy guy and this like sarcastic little guy. And then The Rock and Kevin Hart is like, hey, here's this sarcastic little guy and this big tough guy who might get so frustrated that he kills him at any moment. Yes. And that's what you felt, Stephen, of like, hey, man, I'm just asking a question. Please don't kill me. Yes. So (laughs) I've never been more nervous in my life. I was like, listen, I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. Don't do this to me. But Zach was cool about it. We had a little small, small chat about it after. But yeah, yeah, that's whether it was that, whether it was you asking Kate Stover about qu- toughness stuff, and he his response was, I could give a expletive. He said, um, he said the S word. He said the S word about what anybody thinks about our toughness. Or, you know, and on down the list, yes, there is a, or Ryan Day saying, I'm not going to talk about this right now. There's a time and place, which means if Ohio State wins by three or more touchdowns, I, He's, I feel like he'll say some variation of the words, boy, that felt like we hit a home run today. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> but you know what? Pretty good. So, Here's the thing. Like, th- yes, this this is a team who internalizes everything. Yes. But, but that, that third base comment and the Josh Gaddis comment are very two very different things. Because the third base comment is more of like a, a commentary on – there is something personal there. 
where I think Josh Gaddis, maybe he was, you know, he was running his mouth a little bit because he felt he had the freedom to having won the game. But I think what the worst part of Ohio State players, for Ohio State players about hearing those things was how right they thought they were. Like how accurate they thought they were. From talking the story that we just wrote about the the talking to the players' parents, that was definitely something that came up from multiple parents was that yeah, it you know, now they didn't like hearing those things, but it was because it made them reflect and think there was probably some truth to it. And that's what they've been trying to fix. So in a in a long in a roundabout way, is it going to play in Ohio State's favor that they heard some of those things last year because it made them do the soul searching that got them to this point. Okay, quick break. We'll come back more rapid fire ahead on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, I had this slower, but let's do this now. Let's talk a bit about Tommy Eichenberg from the 440. It's our guy Frank and Hudson. Guys, I'm a little concerned after Nathan's text about Tommy Eichenberg's hands. Sounds like both are broken to me. And with Tommy being absolutely essential and being able to stop uh, Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards, I can foresee this being a problem. Wrapping those two up is difficult with two working hands, let alone none. Do you guys feel the same? And can Cody Steinman step in and play well if needed? I don't know, Nathan. I think maybe... Cody Simon could step in, but I think if Cody Simon tried to step in, Tommy Eichenberg would pick him up with his two broken hands and throw him off the field and say, I'm in the game. What You talked with Eichenberg, like, what's the vibe? Or Like, there's this thing, hey, he's playing with two broken hands. Like, what does that actually mean? How functional is he? Well, he's had 13 or more tackles in three of the last four games, so he's been pretty functional in those matchups, obviously Michigan being a different level of matchup. And we don't know exactly when things moved from when he was wearing the brace on one hand to having problems with both. It's been sort of a gradual process. But Tommy, as people probably know, is not an open book. Um, I think he opens books. I think he's actually a pretty smart guy, but he doesn't let us in at all. So we had an, I spent his entire interview session at his table and obviously started off with, you know, what's going on with these hands and him sort of brushing it off and saying, no, it's fine. Um, it, it feels they, they feel good. And I'm like, they feel good. Like <laughs> they're wearing, you got like cast on both hands. Like your hands feel good. And he's like, yeah, no, they feel good. <laughs> like, listen, like, this is, this is, he's one of those guys. He's one of those like borderline psychopathic linebackers. And I mean that in a good way, not in the actual clinical diagnosis of a psychopathic. I mean it like the hyperbolic football way. Um, I don't think it, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I imagine it's a bigger deal on, you know, a, a potential interception, maybe some things in pass coverage than wrapping up a tackle. I think he's found a way to do that, obviously. And the pain tolerance, I don't think is an issue because I don't know that he feels pain. So, but basically there was not a success in trying to get him to provide any more information about it. Oh, or or anything basically <laughs> like hey Tommy what you have for breakfast this morning like yeah I, I ate breakfast 
<laughs> that's that's kind yeah. of the epitome no, of a Tommy Eckenberg interview. So you got to bring your game, man. It's it's a you know not everybody's an open book. Sometimes you got to no, crack try. that book. We try. We've but, been trying so he, for but, a couple of years. That that book is behind a safe with guards, lasers, more guards, pit bulls, dragons, a moat. No, I get it. It's a challenge. You got to bring it. You got to rise to the challenge. You got to find a way to get that guy to talk about how having two broken hands affects or doesn't affect his play. Listen, most of it, like he's not tackling people with his hands, right? right? He's putting himself in a position to make a tackle. It is interesting. Like why I would think like wide runs, if you're chasing the guy from behind. Mm -hmm. And again, if like you're sweeping the foot, that kind of thing, it's not like Tommy Eichenberg is like grabbing people's jerseys to try to tackle them. But I do think some of the wide stuff, if you're in pursuit from the backside and you're trying to reach for a guy, because sometimes you do every now and then you do, that's how you get a guy down. You, you grab a part of him. Maybe the the grasping motion, but that's not like in a hole. I think you could cut his arms off and he'd be okay because yeah. he'd like lower his shoulder into a guy and get square and do what you have to do. I was joking that he's the knight from Monty Python and Holy Grail that's like had body parts sliced off of him and he just keeps saying, no, it's a, it, it's just it's but a scratch. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, but I yeah. do wonder now that you say that, like it was um, – there was the play, the the touchdown run that I guess was at the Penn State game, where they kind of got wide around the edge, and he was there to make a tackle, but it didn't didn't finish it off. So I don't know if that was any kind of a factor there. But like I said, like for the most part, like numerically, he's still making a bunch of tackles. Yeah, I think I think most of it won't have an effect. I think I think keep your eye out for that, like wide runs if he's kind of trying to pursue from the backside. This is one we do this every year now, where where the three of us guess whether guys are going to be back at Ohio State next year or whether this is for the underclassmen, whether this is going to be their last game. Ronnie Hickman, for instance, said on Tuesday, like, this is my last game. And it is, there's a wrinkle with the COVID eligibility that like everybody could play forever. And so it's like, well, you could play forever. And some guys are like, well, no, I, I did what I'm here to do. Like I played my time. I'm not sticking around. Um, Steven, I know you have, you, you organized the post for us this year for all of us to make our guesses. I'm not even sure if, if you guys were in the discussion. So Jason from Plain City asked, does the fact that Steel Chambers and Tommy Eichenberg aren't walking for senior day, does that make it more likely that both will be back next year? Where do we think we are with Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers who have both had good years at linebacker? Yeah, no, I didn't include them in the post because we typically, or at least you know, traditionally have only included the guys who are true third year guys. And they are not obviously their fourth year guys who are redshirt juniors. Uh, Tommy, I can, I think Steel will be back. I think Tommy Eichenberg is interesting because he wasn't a Buckus Award finalist. I mean, you can make the argument that he should have been given what he's done both in production and also, I mean, he's a legit weapon for this defense. He's the interesting one where when they do put his draft grade in, I'm wondering if it's going to be a lot higher than maybe even he's thinking right now. And it's so high that he's got to go. Even if it is maybe just like third or fourth round, it's like it's not going to get any better than this. I, I might have to just go. Like Josh, maybe a similar situation to Josh Myers, Nathan. When you talk to him, where it's like, I mean, I can't. This grade, I have to go. So that that's the interesting one there. Steele, I think, might be back because I don't know if his will be as high. But you know, if if there's a situation where they're both gone, then we've entered the C.J. Hicks, um, Cody Simon, P, uh, well, P, P, uh, EA won't be back. Uh, Reed Carrico, Gabe's Powers era. So there's plenty of depth still in the room. It's just young guys who need to develop a little bit more. Well, which of those two guys do we think would test better at the combine? Something mm. like that. I think it might be Steele 
And I, I, both of those guys, Steel. I think, are in a position where, like with Ronnie Hickman, he's a second-year starter, which I guess technically both those guys did start some last year, but not the not the way that they owned it this year. And, and Hickman's in his second year of that. And it, it, there also is just sort of a life station conversation that comes in with these guys where you're just kind of you're done. And sometimes academics can be, I guess, maybe a factor. But uh, I, I think both of those guys, as you're saying, Stephen, I – Hickman had already made up his mind. Both those guys are probably in a position where they want that feedback to see exactly where they stand. If you get a thing back that says you're only a sixth or seventh round draft pick, maybe there's, but if, but now if you get one back that says you're a mid round pick, but that's also your ceiling, you'd have to consider whether it's time to go. I also wonder if this is maybe more for steel. Like I think regardless of who's here next year, it might be CJ Hicks time. So that, factors into it yeah right? i mean it's like you're good but like i'll like it's like this guy but like i don't think you like necessarily wait it's like oh well steel chambers is still here cj hicks can't play I, I don't think that's the conversation antonio Pittman went and was a fourth round pick when he was a, a good player but like i don't think antonio Pittman went because it was like he couldn't resist the call of the nfl it was like well beanie's here right i mean like beanie as a freshman was behind you and like was the number two back and shared time but like it's beanie time like it's so i think that there's, that can be a factor too of like maybe this was the time when you played more because there's always guys coming behind you. And there's at least one other yeah, position on this team this that is, I think that applies to this year. Yeah. I think with this is gonna be a really important spring for what? CJ. Running back. Where to who does that apply? To Mayan Williams. In regards to Well, just I mean who's being, behind him that's shoving him being out. Being the situation what the depth chart situation is at that point. It'll be the same. If he comes back, it'll just be the same four guys. Right, but I mean... There's well, not what, a five-star behind Mayan Williams shoving him out the door, potentially, right? I suppose not, but I also... You know, where do you exactly fit in at that point? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. No, I mean, I think where you fit in matters. I mean, sometimes like, hey, there's a superstar behind me whose time is now is is also different than like, where do I fit in? So... Um, I don't think that... I, I understand your sentiment, Nathan. I don't think that applies to him, though. If he comes back, I, I, I don't think so. Was, was mine on our list? Was mine on our list? Yeah, he was. Okay, and we, did we say he's back or not? I can't remember what we said. I um, I didn't know if we were well, saving. We'll him have to read the post to find out. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, it's worth talking about because it is. I mean, it's it, it, there are some guys who are playing their last game in Ohio Stadium. Like, is Mayan Williams playing his last game in Ohio Stadium or not? Is Steel Chambers playing his last game in Ohio Stadium or not? That's interesting. It matters. It does matter. Yeah, I think the Mayan one. I mean, Evan Pryor, he didn't play as true freshman, and he was hurt all year. And in the, and also, Travion and mine have been dealing with stuff all year, and it's allowed Dallin Hayden to do more than anybody thought he would have done. And he's actually really good. So if mine and Travion come back, and then you also now add Dallin into that situation where Evan Pryor has done the least amount, I don't think mine Williams would be the odd man out in that situation. And no offense to Dallin. Like, Dallin Hayden is doing what they need him to do. Like, I don't... Yes. Like Dallin Hayden is doing maybe what some other guys aren't doing and is doing like fulfilling the basics of the position. And that is not to take anything away from a true freshman who didn't get here until the summer doing that thing. It also might be like, like Sonny Styles and, and CJ Hicks just might have to play next year. Like Ronnie Hickman. I don't know that like Ronnie Hickman was like, well, Sonny Styles is here. Like I better go, but I don't know. Like, I, I don't think it's that. Yeah. But there's no way Sonny think- Styles doesn't play next year. 
Yeah. And like, is there a way that CJ Hicks doesn't play next year? So like, if we think maybe Lathan goes to Ronnie's spot and then Styles plays Lathan's spot, those are the two safeties next year. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean they would like not play Ronnie Hickman, but also like there's a cycle to this stuff. And I do think this is the thing. The 2020 everybody's year didn't count threw off the cycle. So there mm-hmm. is a cycle to things. And some of these guys, I think you have a realization of like, I'm at the end of my cycle, even if I potentially have a year, like there are second year, super talented guys who are ready to play. And like, it just doesn't make sense. My time is up. And I don't know, like Ronnie Hickman would help Ohio State next year, but that Ronnie Hickman like decisively said, this is my last game. It's like, that guy knows, that guy knows where he's like, that guy knows what's up. Good for him. He's super important to Ohio State, but he feels like it's time. Good. I'll, I'll be curious how some of these other guys think like this because the answer to the COVID year can't be that none of the recruits behind them get to start until year three because mm-hmm. some of these guys stuck around for five and six years. That's not how this should work. So Paris Johnson shouldn't be playing right guard. Yeah, no. Well, I, yeah. That, 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 that's the logic here. It's like somebody shouldn't have to wait to play the position that they got recruited yes. to pl- play because somebody else decided I'm going to use this extra year of eligibility. Right, right. Okay, let's do a Jackson Smith and Jigba quickly because we have to. Andrew from the 412. The public's obviously not going to be seeing him work his rehab, but wondering if he's been on the sidelines at home games or even road games or seen around the Woody during the past uh, game weeks. I think it goes without saying all of Buckeye Nation misses him, and I hope he's been uh, I hope he's been able to help the team emotionally and as a leader to give them some of that Jackson swagger. Here's to hoping we see JSN at least one more time in his scarlet and gray career. This is from the 740. Hey, guys, first-time texter, worth the money, and long-time listener, Tanner from Newark. I don't have a rant, but I wanted to get on here and ask, do we live in a college football season where Jackson Smith and Jigba could be under wraps? And then he gets pulled out for a game like this. Love the pod. Go Bucks. Last one on JSN. Any word if JSN is playing? And if so, uh, and what would be his productivity in the game if he is playing? That's Brandon in the 513. Nathan, I don't think we said his name on Tuesday. I actually, Did you hear the yeah. word, the name Jackson Smith and Jigba? I was thinking about that the other day, and I was doing a a pod with our sister uh, uh, publication M Live, and I I mentioned that that his name Ryan Day was never asked a single question about him, and I wasn't at a Mecca Buka's table the whole time. That would have been the most likely person to get more questions about him, I guess, or maybe Xavier Johnson. I don't know if either of them were asked about him. So so weird that he is kind of out of sight, out of mind right now. But has also been out of sight. I mean, he was he didn't make the Maryland trip, and I don't know that he was on the sideline for the Indiana game. I don't think he was. No, I'm. Yeah, I'm typically on the sidelines pregame. The last time I saw Jackson Smith the Jigba with my own two eyes was the Iowa game when he re-injured the thing. He re-injured his leg. That's I haven't seen him. Since the end, I, I typically will go down even in road games to see, hey, maybe did he travel? Even because sometimes bring guys who are injured to travel. He hasn't traveled and he hasn't been there for a home game. So I thought we will see. I, I thought I saw if him we, at a practice night. Clearly, had not been practicing, but was at a practice on a Wednesday. I think that was before the Iowa game where he was on the jugs. No, 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 no. I mean, he, where he was, we he wasn't involved in anything. I'm saying he was just present. Uh-oh. I could be wrong about that, but I, I. It's been three weeks, three, four weeks. Yeah, I haven't seen him. So so that's just indicative of where we are. Like, he's not going to play on Saturday. This is not some secret thing. I think we're in a, maybe a playoff, if anything. 
I think it's either nothing or the playoff. And it's just, this is, this is obviously, I mean, it's nothing against Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's just the reality of the situation that it does not feel like anybody is, is waiting. There was a time, right? Clearly there were a lot of weeks when it was like, is it now? Are we waiting? What does it mean? Oh, what would it do? If it... And it's just kind of like, unfortunately for everybody involved, especially first and foremost, Jackson Smith and Jigba. And that's just not where it is anymore. So Maybe it'll be like a super surprise, and all of a sudden, when he shows up, he shows up. But it, that is that was not at all the vibe uh, this week. All right, let's talk about sort of a, another emotional thing around this game. It's Rust Belt Brian. How chippy do you think the game will be? Who initiates the scuffle? Will any players get kicked out and flip the double bird? Who will be the chippy game? Who would a chippy game benefit? As an Ohio State fan, I view Michigan as the goons, and I think any extracurricular activity benefits them. I view Michigan as the goons. Rust Belt, Brian. Steven, what do we think here? Do we think, I mean, there's always the chance, but the game was chippy last year. Like, I think if, if generally, if anybody in any week of Ohio State, Michigan said, will the game be chippy? I think my default answer is yes. It's Ohio State, mm-hmm. Michigan. But where do we think emotionally these two teams are? I mean, TV networks do a whole monologue where they just show a video montage of all the fights over the years. But it's what made last year's chippiness, if you want to say that's what that was, so disappointing because it wasn't Ohio State versus Michigan. It was Cameron Brown versus Michigan while all the other players stood around as if they had never seen chippiness before. And you're wondering, why are you not backing up your teammate here? This is the rivalry game, and he's with it. He's with all the smoke. Where are you guys at? So if I had to pick an Ohio State player who would initiate the chippiness, it would be Cameron Brown, 100%. But I, do, I don't think he'd be alone this time like he was last year. I do expect it. Maybe we see some stuff pregame. We've seen that in the past before. Uh, maybe there comes a moment where a DB and a wide receiver get all tangled up and they get into it as well. But it seems like both sides have people who were initiated, and we'll see. It, it be, it's smoke from equal sides. So I hope we do see some chippiness because that's what makes it. But, but I think for Ohio State, they've got to toe the line a little bit because – all that emotion and, yeah, we heard what people had to say. All that stuff is cool, but you still need to go win a football game. And I don't know if I would use goon as the word to describe Michigan, but they are the roughnecks in this rivalry, at least the last couple of years. It seemed like that's been the case. And so Ohio State's got to walk that line of not backing down when that chippiness shows up, but also focusing on what the actual mission is here, and that's winning the football game. I do think at times in the past when Michigan was losing, they kind of almost like tried to force the chippiness. It was like a fake chippiness to it. Like, hey, look how Mm -hmm. tough we are. And I think it does need to be organic. I I would be wary of like, I don't think Ohio State needs to start a fight in warmups to prove how tough they are. But I do think of all the things last year, Stephen, like, hey, being tough and are you tough enough and is a finesse team? I do think that Cam Brown moment is the one that maybe stands out of like, hmm, that would be the thing that's like, there might be something to that. Like, how do you not have the back of your teammate when he's kind of out there fighting the whole Michigan team? So I do think I do think there's something to that. There's a related couple questions that I tried to pull in under this umbrella. From the 513, Xavier Johnson and Emeka said something along the lines of, they had grown apathetic to Michigan and the rivalry. This seems unthinkable to me under the previous two regimes. Do you all think this is a reflection of Day and the coaching staff or players not born into the rivalry that have only seen Ohio State dominate the last 20 years? And related to that from the 843, Brian, Emeka's comments were why Ohio State will always need some Ohio guys or guys that have some Ohio State connections to make the rivalry real. Even then, there could be a loss, but someone who feels the hate will always be needed. Do we think this was a reason that Ohio State lost to Michigan last year because they grew apathetic to the rivalry? 
or do we think it's that something maybe you would say after a loss to say, oh, that's why we lost when, when actually maybe you lost because of Aiden Hutchinson and getting yeah. stopped on third and two. Nathan, what do you think of all this? I, I think it's much more the latter that it's it it's you know you you look for things and I understand what they're saying that when there is some human nature involved in that right like you can only beat another team by 35 points so many times without it starting to affect a little bit how much you respect that no matter how much they try to make it a year-round focus but it's not like they ever they took the foot off the gas of that like they kept talking about how it was a year-round focus until they lose the game but they didn't I don't I don't look back at that and think um, how they didn't like care enough. I look at that and say Michigan um, won that matchup. Like Michigan was the the, uh, the Michigan's running game could exploit problems that Ohio State's defense had all season. Um, they were the same problems that showed up against Oregon. They were the same problems that showed up in other games. And Aiden Hutchinson was the best player on the field. I think Emeka is really smart, right? And I think like he has like a sense of this kind of thing. And I do think always the balance, the idea of you need Ohio guys, I do believe in, right? I mean, again, I think guys who choose this, that's really important. You choose to be part of this. And we've gone over that. But it is a little bit different, especially early. You do grow into it over time. But that's why I do think you need in-state guys who were born with it. Um, I don't know, Stephen. Do you like, do you? I, like I do, I just don't. I don't think we're there at all. And the, the the issue is that Ohio State fans have the thing right in front of their face from the Cooper years of great national players and a national coach without Ohio ties who were tremendously skilled, very talented, won a bunch of games, and couldn't get it done in this game. And so it's like, oh well, what do you mean? What would that look like? It's like that's right there. Is Ryan Day, John Cooper, is this team going to wind up being a national team that can throw the ball and can't beat Michigan? That fear is like, why would you fear that? It's like, I don't know, because I lived it for 13 years, right? Yeah. That's real, Stephen. And I think like it is worth being on alert about. I, I don't think that is a front of mind. They are on the precipice of that. I, I don't. But do you? Like, what do, Where do you think this conversation is? I think depending on what happens Saturday, that's going to be the precipice of our conversation on the postgame pod. But and, and I'll, but and and I think you're right because it's all about results. But like yeah. as you sit here right now, do you feel like did we get any sense that Ohio State doesn't emphasize this game the correct way? That the message mm. is not sent the right way because the results the result and that's real. You're exactly right. Mm-hmm. But no. I think also there was a part with the Cooper thing of like they didn't they didn't go about it the right way. And as right. we sit here now, that's not the feeling I have. No, I. I... The fear is the same result, but they're not going to get there taking the same path. Day has emphasized the rivalry since he got I kind of wrote about this for um, Wednesday morning. He's emphasized the rivalry since he got here, even before he was the head coach. Cooper never did that. I think it's less about how their program is going about the rivalry, you know, doing stuff every day, emphasizing it, not having blue in the, in the woody and the cars. All that stuff still exists, but the mindset of the player has flipped and I can kind of talk about this because I'm kind of with them a little bit I was born in 94 which means I don't remember the stuff that happened in the 90s I was four or five years old I'm in my life especially for these guys Ameka Buka is 19 20 years old most of the people on this team were born after 2000 which means in their life the Ohio State Michigan rivalry is this thing that everybody makes a big deal about it's a big game it's the most intriguing game of the last week of the college football season 
and then Ohio State goes and wins the game. That's their history. That's their you know relationship with this rivalry, especially when you're talking about a kid who's from the West Coast. But that's even the case with a guy from Ohio. Zach Harrison was talking about some of this stuff. He's from Columbus. He's from 15 minutes from the from the campus, and he kind of viewed it the same way, where it's like, yeah, I mean, Ohio State just always wins this. That's how they think about this stuff. And it, it almost reminded me of, you remember uh, in The Dark Knight Rises when Bane and, and Batman are fighting, and Bane goes, victory has defeated you. There is an element of that to this. Now, yes, Nathan is correct. Aiden Hutchinson was the best player on the field last year, and David Ajabo was pretty good too. And from an X's and O's standpoint, Michigan wiped Ohio State up and down the field all afternoon. Yes, that exists as well. But I do think there is an element of if you are between the eight, if you are 20, 30 or younger, you just think Ohio State shows up and beats Michigan every year. And I think some of those players walked into Ann Arbor last year thinking, regardless of what issues we're dealing with, whether it be football related or some of the culture stuff we talked about earlier this year, we're going to win this game because that's just what happens. Ohio State beats Michigan. And they learned the hard way last year that, no, this is a different type of game. You still have to show up and do what you need to do. And because that didn't happen, it's kind of flipped everybody's mindset. And that's how you get a Mecca saying that I wasn't really prepared to play in a game like that, but I am now. I get the rivalry now. I'm invested in it now. That's how you get stuff like that because he no longer has it in his head that regardless of how big of a deal we make this rivalry, Ohio State's going to win. So I think I do have a piece of advice for Ryan Day because you've got to be genuine and you are who you are and you're born where you're born and you can't change that. One of the big things that Jim Trestle did was have Earl Bruce come in and talk at the beginning of Michigan week, right? Because that, I mean, Earl Bruce was born for that, right? I do think win or lose starting next year, I guess I would have given this advice to have it do this year, especially if you lose though. I think it could be valuable to have Jim Trestle and Urban Meyer come in and talk to this team. And I do mm-hmm. think the more distance that Ryan Day gets from Urban Meyer, especially like, like you're established, it's not that you can't do this. It's that you are supplementing and you are leaning on Ohio State's past. I, you could have Troy Smith come in and talk. You could have Zach Boren come in and talk, right? Standing over Devin Gardner. That You could have the people, the Ohio people, listen, Emeka, Marvin, Kyle, CJ, guys from everywhere, I'm from here, and this is how it is. I do think there's value in that. I don't think that's fake. I don't think that's like just for show. And it doesn't mean you have to have everybody on your roster from Ohio. But I do think maybe it would be time for that. And I do think the urban thing is still a little complicated because how it went in Jacksonville and the things, some of the things he did off the field, I do think that's a little complicated still, but he's around it. It is a little bit odd to me sometimes, even like Urban's like at games. Urban's going to be there again. Urban's mm-hmm. at all these games, and it's like it feels like he's not a part of it. We asked about like the Urban shadow hanging over Ryan Day. It's like Urban Meyer is not anything, it feels like, to Ohio State right now. And it's because of how things ended in Jacksonville, on and off the field. But But Trestle is in Ohio. Trestle's here. I think Tress would come. I think Tress would clear his schedule for a little Sunday night speech. I think Urban, if asked, would clear his schedule. I think Troy would make time. I think Zach Bourne would make time. I don't think that's a bad idea. And that's not a shortcoming of Ryan Day. That's not Ryan Day saying, I can't do this. But even Paris Johnson, I, I, when Paris talked yesterday, I was like, man, Paris, you got to write that yourself. You're a journalist. He was talking about how tell him Michael that. Jordan, the offensive line, I know it's like Paris, like, don't give up. Don't give it to us. Keep it. Michael Jordan, the offensive lineman, 
for Ohio State was talking about how in an Ohio State-Michigan game, he was going out on the field and Orlando Pace was there. And like Michael Jordan was the first true freshman, I think, to start on the offensive line in the Ohio State-Michigan game since Orlando Pace. And Orlando Pace like gave Michael Jordan a head nod. And mm-hmm. Michael Jordan was like, oh my God, like I've got to do this for Orlando Pace right now. And Paris Johnson was really good on Tuesday talking about he feels like they let down the players of the past. Let those players help you. Let the past help you in the present. That is not acknowledging a shortcoming in the present. It is using all of your resources. And one of the great resources for Ohio State in this rivalry is the past. So Ryan Day, my advice, bring that past to bear. Maybe every day. Maybe it's Urban Day, it's Troy Day, it's Boren Day, it's Trestle Day. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's one night and everybody gets a little time. And that's whether you win, even if you win. Do it. This program's getting more national. That's okay. But don't lose lose the Ohio part of this. And and I don't know, maybe they were all in there talking on Sunday night. We didn't hear that, Stephen, but like I'm into this now. I, I think that I think there's a way to bring in all the best of that without it being you saying we can't do this on our own. I think rivalry week is the one week where you overload the culture stuff. And yep. it's Ameka didn't play against Bianca Patuka, but he has to understand that what Bianca Patuka did to Ohio State in the 90s, that also he needs to take that personally. The same way that Troy Smith needs to take that personally. The same way Braxton Miller needs to take that personally. It's ongoing. This, this, is, this is not a – in sports, you get a lot of last year was last year. It's a brand new year. We focus on this year and this team. That doesn't apply to rivalry games. That's an ongoing organism that whatever that team does to in this game, it happened to the person who played 60 years ago, and it's going to happen to the person who plays 60 years from now. It happens to everybody. and But when you don't have that connection, you don't take stuff like that personally. That's how you get situations where Cam Brown's fighting the whole team by himself. And so there is, I, 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 I do think some of the culture stuff can be fake. It's not fake with Rivalry Weekend. And a lot of these players learned that whether it was Paris saying, I feel like I let a lot of people down or it's Xavier Johnson and, and, and Ronnie Hickman talking about the entire state feels like this was a letdown and they're disappointed in us and stuff like that. They hadn't felt that before because they had no reason to. And so I, I agree with that. I do think whether it's a coach or maybe bringing people from the nineties who have been in this exact situation, where losing to a good Michigan team when you were clearly the more talented team on paper was the norm and say, you don't want to live this life. It's an embarrassment that I, David Boston broke all these records, but I also lost to Michigan, you know, Terry Glenn and Eddie George and Orlando, these are some of the greatest players in Ohio state football history, but we were losing the Michigan. So none of it matters. And I think to go back to some of the CJ stuff, CJ Stroud statistically is one is, Maybe Dwayne Haskins, Troy Smith, and Justin Fields are the only people that can look him in the eye. And if he loses on Saturday, none of that is going to matter because he'll be the first quarterback in almost 30 years who never beat Michigan. Yeah. I think JT Barrett would come back and give a little talk, you know? Oh, yeah. There are guys. There are guys that come back. Oh, yeah. I think Chris Spielman might be up for a talk. I think Chris Carter might be up for a little chat. I think Orlando Pace would come in and drop some pearls, you know? I think there's an opportunity here, but mm-hmm. I do think I just thought because Trestle didn't need Trestle was as Ohio as it got. Trestle didn't need like mm-hmm. extra Ohio stuff, but he was still like we bring in Earl, right? Because Earl Earl brings it. 
Mm-hmm. And now Trestle's not going to be Earl. Trestle's not going to come in and do an Earl impersonation. But Trestle can bring in and say, Trestle's the guy who stood up again. I don't know who the conversation I was having with. The idea of, like, again, did Harbaugh maybe not emphasize the rivalry as much early on because it's hard to say this game defines our season when you don't think you can win it? Because then mm-hmm. your season, by definition, is a failure. So you wait until you think you have the talent to win it, and then you can emphasize it. Trestle, Trestle came in into a world where they were 2-10-1, and one, they just been coming off two bad years under Cooper. Trestle first day is like, yep, that day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're – why would you think that Ohio State's going to win? Trestle's like, mm-hmm. that day. That'll work. That'll work. Come in. I wanted, I wanted to call him on Buckeye Talk now and give a speech. We'll invite – if Ryan Day doesn't invite him in we week of the game next year, we will. We'll come in. What would you say to the team? Come in and give that speech. All right, Nathan. From the 704, what are the chances Ohio State jumps to number one over Georgia briefly if they win this game? Playoff rankings next week. Is Ohio State potentially number one ahead of Georgia? Georgia's playing Georgia Tech this week. Yeah, and Georgia Tech's not good. They've obviously fired their coach this year. So that's. They just beat North Carolina. They beat North Carolina, North Carolina last week. Good. They dumped. North Carolina's not very good. They, uh, they had not one good. loss. I mean, we can act like everybody stinks. North they're Carolina had one loss. I know you're a voter and you think everybody stinks. They were like the 12th team in the country and they lost to Georgia Tech. Yeah. And Drake Mays, People one of the best quarterbacks them. in the country. Like, that was a real win for Georgia Tech. It was. Who, where would you have North Carolina ranked? One loss, North Carolina behind like a bunch of four loss teams? I don't remember where I had them ranked, but. Not behind four lost teams. Like every, everybody stinks. Everybody stinks. College football is not fun. College football. Yeah, but the like where's North Carolina yeah, but, supposed to be ranked? But then, so but like the, a Georgia Tech win over North Carolina means nothing. No, I'm not saying it means nothing. I'm just saying that North Carolina is not what people thought it was. They were not what they were getting ranked at. Is all my point was. Regardless. Who should have been ranked there? Yeah, but who's ranked? Who should have been? Who was? Were you doing your ballot every week and saying I can't believe these teams are behind North Carolina? This is an outrage. Oh, no, I don't not care that much once you get that deep in the poll. No. Who should have been ranked there? They were like 12. It's not that deep. They were like 12. They were like 700. I don't remember who I had. I published my poll. I don't remember well, who no, I had. Just right now, off the top of your head. So, just off the top of your head. Because I think if you're going to tell me a team is overrated, then you should tell me who's underrated. I am Everybody that and I have ranked versa. above North Carolina. And listen, I had North Carolina 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 11th. I had them 12th that week, I think. 12th, 13th. They okay, so loss. Georgia Tech's not going to be Georgia, but they are coming off – they are they also coming off a win over the number 12 team in the country last week. So that's all. That's all we're saying. Right. So I'm just saying it's so not Ge- – it, I mean, it's not like Georgia's playing – yeah. The point being that it's not a – the Georgia Tech win would not be one that gets – that enhances Georgia's resume is all we're saying. Whereas with Ohio State, I mean, I think the difference maker could be if they were to come out and just flatten Michigan. Then I think there might be some discussion in that room because right now Georgia has the advantage of they pulverized an Oregon team that is still gets a lot of respect mm. for, um, you know, for where they are. And they controlled a win over Tennessee pretty substantially. Like it wasn't as lopsided from a score standpoint, yeah, but they won sure. that game. They were the, they were the better team in that game and they showed it. So that's two big feathers in their cap. Now, Ohio State has right now two top 15 victories, but I think if they were to come out, and even though it's at home, if they were to just really smoke Michigan, then I think there would be some conversation in that room about, um, you know, because they don't keep holding things against you once the reality changes. We had this discussion a lot last year where the committee kept ranking Oregon ahead of Ohio State, even though because of the head-to-head win, even though 
Ohio State was clearly playing better at that point of the season. And the whole thing takes care of itself because eventually Oregon does lose and you just move Ohio State up. It's not it's not a big deal. And I think, though, this could be a similar thing where you say to this point, Georgia has substantially the better wins. But if you get on the field with the number three team in the country, who's been your consensus number three team now for several weeks and Ohio State like crushes them, I think there's a chance that it might briefly jump up to number one. But Georgia would take it back by beating LSU in the SEC championship game, almost certainly. But you say like substantially better wins. I mean, right now, Georgia's two good wins, really, I don't even know what their third best win is. Their two good wins are over number nine and number 10. Oregon's nine and Tennessee's 10. Ohio State beat number 11, Penn State, and then Mm -hmm. they would have a win over Michigan who would fall to whatever. Their third, they would fall to five or six. So all of a sudden, Ohio State's plus Notre Dame. So Ohio State's, but Notre Dame is 15th. But even like the two best wins, I think Ohio State's two best wins would be better than Georgia's two best wins. And then their third best win is definitely better than Georgia's third best win. All of a sudden, you start doing a schedule comparison. I think you're there. Yeah, yeah, I think at, at that yeah, point, it changes. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. But but right now, I still think... The- but but I would have thought maybe the answer is like, no, they're not getting past Georgia. But actually, if they beat Michigan, maybe they should be number one. Well, and listen, it's not just... Because the Tennessee loss, like Tennessee, the Tennessee loss affects that, right? That Tennessee's all of a sudden not the team we, that we, we were viewing them as two weeks ago. Right. And then you can start to go even deeper than that. You know, Georgia's got to win at Mississippi State, which is a team that people thought was good for a while and Ohio State has the wins over like Iowa which could be eight and four or whatever next week and go into the Big Ten Championship game like <sighs> that don't forget that that there's a chance that if Iowa beats Nebraska on Friday and is going to the Big Ten Championship game and has won whatever that would be at that point like five games in a row Iowa might be a ranked team in the college football playoff rankings next week so that's another like zombie win coming back to help Ohio State. That would be like the zombie that somehow already got its head cut off in The Walking Dead, but yet is still walking around. Like the one zombie that that lives through being completely brained. So question, regardless regardless of who wins, uh, do we think there's two Big Ten teams getting in the playoff? Oh, no, no. That's not a conversation we're having. We've had that conversation a million different places, a million different times. That, well, no, we're, no, that, we're good that's not... That. That's not the reason I'm having the the reason I'm having like if if we think the answer is no that Ohio State and there's not a world where Ohio State and Michigan get into the playoff, it feels like there's going to be a significant drop off between whoever wins this game in Georgia and then whoever three and four are in the playoff this year anyway. So it would seem that being number one or number two doesn't really matter as much as it's mattered in years past, where that fourth seed is clearly the this is who one of these teams is not like the other. So so the one thing is. If Ohio State beats Michigan and Michigan gets in as the four, Ohio State's going to be the two because they don't want to play Ohio right. State-Michigan in the semifinal one versus four. And if USC and TCU win out and those are your four playoff teams, I think I'd rather play TCU than USC. And TCU's if they both mm. win out, TCU's going to be the three. So I think you'd rather be the two. Yeah. That's not, not like, like your Ohio State-TCU in the Fiesta Bowl, USC-Georgia in the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that it would be like, oh, man, Ohio State should be number one. They have better wins. It's like, all right, that's cool. Take TC. And Frank, Take yeah. TCU. You don't want to play Caleb Williams and, until you have to. And if, that's, and if, a, that's what I was getting at there. It's like, go ahead, Nathan. I will just say, and, and if, if this Ohio State-Michigan game is like some kind of classic that comes right down to it and both these teams make the playoff, that might be the best four seed that's ever been in this tournament. Or one of them. No, but Ohio either State, way, well, but either way, I would say 2014. Obviously, but either way, they're not going to play who 
either way, they're not going to play whoever the third best team is in the. They're not going to play the third best team in the country in their first playoff game if they beat Michigan. They're not going to play the third best team in the country. What do you mean? I think Ohio. Like, at this point, I think it's very clear that Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan are the three best teams in the country. And they're not going to turn around a month later and have Ohio State and Michigan play each other twice. Oh, they're not playing Ohio State, Michigan in a semifinal. Correct. Uh, so that's why I'm Michigan, saying I don't I mean, know how much yeah. I don't know how much the seeding matters at this point because Ohio State's going to whether they're they're either going to pick the Fiesta Bowl if they're the number one seed, or they're going to end up at the Fiesta Bowl anywhere if they're the two seed, and you're putting yeah. yourself in a situation where you're probably playing TCU. Or USC. One thing I will say, right. like that we've already had the separators in all these other conferences. Like Georgia played Tennessee, and Tennessee played Alabama, and uh, a lot of the Pac-12 games have already happened. We haven't had the proving ground game yet for Ohio State, Michigan, to see exactly how these two teams really are relative to each other. So we might have a different opinion after Saturday. And it will be interesting if if one team blows the other out. Will that be viewed more as? the winner is awesome and potentially the best team in the country, or will it be viewed as the loser isn't what we thought mm. it was. And, and I, and this is not, I'm trying to be like, not trying to be a big 10 Homer given how things go. My guess would be, it would be viewed more as mm-hmm. the loser isn't who we thought they were because oh, yeah. we've both thought these teams do have some vulnerabilities. So I don't know that the winner will get enough credit, even though like Michigan, Schedule strength would not be able to get past Georgia. Ohio State schedule strength, the thing we just did, would have a case. But I wonder, sometimes that's not how it goes. Go ahead, Nathan. No, I think that might be the case more if Michigan were to beat Ohio State than if Ohio State were to beat Michigan in some ways. Because I think Ohio State has been kept on a higher tier than Michigan the whole week, as we talked about Monday on that on the on the Monday pod. But I also do think there's a world where it's like, oh, High State blew out Michigan. Well, they were pretty one-dimensional. They don't have Aiden right. Hutchinson. Their pass rush isn't as good. Blake Corum mm-hmm. wasn't 100%. Ohio State was as, was at home. Michigan didn't play anybody. Right. Finally, Michigan played a good team, and it turned out that Michigan's not who we thought they were. I think there's a version of that conversation that happens that then you go, hey, but but Michigan and Penn State are still like that. Those two wins are better from a ranking perspective than Tennessee and Oregon. And it's like, yeah, but I mean, I do, I, you know, I think there's a world where that happens. I think we're saying similar things. I think it wouldn't be that Michigan isn't who we thought they were. It's that, well, Michigan is clearly that there really is this, there are two teams that are separated and Michigan's in this other group. And that, that was just emphasized on Saturday as opposed to like yeah. them, yeah, a failure on their part. Yeah. yeah. You, the winner might almost get more credit if it's close, honestly, if it's like, mm-hmm. man, yeah. That's the thing. It's like those look like two of the four best teams in the country. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Now, whether they both get in, we'll see. But just like I test, are those two of the four best teams? The answer, I think, is clearly yes. And credit to the winner for winning. I, th- I almost think a close game could be more helpful. Quick break. We'll wrap it up on Buckeye Talk Rapid Fire after this. Quick thing about how we feel this week from the 419. Does the media feel different this week too? Not that you guys hate Michigan, but does the intensity fire you up or change your attitude? And another version of that, this is Alex in Cincinnati from the 513. With Doug working for Ohio State since 2005 and Steven and Nathan joining the beat within the last few years, I'm wondering if any of the Michigan rivalry rubs off on you. Reading Nathan and Steven's article about the parents of the players really makes you realize just how impactful the environment can be. I know you guys aren't exactly Buckeye fans, but I'm curious if you subconsciously have a slight disdain, professionally, of course, toward Michigan that you have to fight against. Thanks, 
F Michigan, love you guys, Alex in Cincinnati. Nathan, what is the rivalry done to you as a person and as a professional? I don't have a disdain for Michigan, as the the texter asked. I, I, I actually even really kind of I think their uniforms are pretty like classic and cool, and I think the Big House is a great stadium. So again, I, if you don't grow up with with a hatred, it's hard to just a, adopt it. And um, I actually then I also appreciate now that Michigan has risen again because it makes this game it it makes this game even more important like we're covering the biggest game in the country this weekend like the mm-hmm. biggest game in the and it's not even close and it's it's not because Ohio State alone is great it's because both these teams are really good this year and it 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 means something so uh i i it, it can be hard to get excited for Indiana and Maryland you're getting late in the year you come down with whatever I had a couple of weeks ago, and it's you start. It starts to grind on you a little bit mentally. But I'm feeling rejuvenated this week because of what we get to do on Saturday and the the position we're in. So I, I, I'm I, I'm excited about it, and I'm excited that Michigan's good. Like because I don't have a, a reason to hate them, the and it makes two, it a great game. Three. Yeah, a matchup between the number two and number three teams in the country has cured. Nathan Baird's illness. You heard it here first <laughs> oh, yeah. on Buckeye Talk. Um, I mean, I grew booster. up Got a booster. Yeah, I grew up here, so I've seen it my whole life. But as I was saying earlier, I'm used to Ohio State just kind of dominating this thing. I wasn't an Ohio State fan much growing up, and I think it's a lot. But growing up the way I did has helped me to approach stuff like this because I know what to expect already, and so I, and I don't necessarily get excited either way. But I do, as Nathan said, I want to see a – a good football game. And I was in the sixth grade the last time there was this much at stake in an Ohio state Michigan game. So it's cool to actually be in the stadium and get a chance to watch a historical football game. Just like it was cool. Even if it was annoying covering the 2020 season, when we were the only people in the stadium, this is cool stuff. I can tell my grandkids about one day that I was there and I got to watch it. And then I got to talk to players about it afterward. And I got to see how they interacted with people. So yeah, I'm excited to watch the game. And I'm excited to cover it, but I'm not, I don't hate Michigan. Just like I don't root for Ohio State. I just want to see a really good football game and so we can tell really good stories afterward. So my first two exposures were 05, Anthony Gonzalez helicopter catch from Troy yep. Smith, tremendous game, and then 06. And so when the Brady Hoke, when the Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke eras hit the rivalry and hit Michigan, I was sort of like, what is wrong with you? Like, I think I was <laughs> mad at Michigan. Like I wasn't, I didn't like have a disdain for Michigan, but I was like, why are you bad? Aren't you supposed to be better than this? You're ruining it. You're ruining the rivalry. Stop it. Stop ruining this thing. And again, for all the Ohio State fans who say, I want Michigan to stink, that debate. But it's like, it just, it was like, you're sucking the life out of this thing. Be better. So I think I did feel that. I was searching all over the place for like to find meaning. It's like that's when, you know, we'd have the the whole weeks of those rivalries were what was the first Ohio State Michigan you remember as a kid? It was a lot of history, right? Because the present wasn't that interesting. So it was always, right? It always mattered. It always did. But that's when I was asking about, hey, do you not let green pens in the building during Michigan State week? Because Michigan State's actually more of like an on-field rival than Michigan is right now. So this is, right, they're back. Are they as good as Ohio State? No, I don't think they're as good as Ohio State as an overall program, but they're back, man. And from our perspective, it's great. So, like, do we, no. We, Ann Arbor's a lovely campus. Um, you know, this, but this is, like, this is where it should be. 
So I do. There were moments when I was sort of like frustrated with Michigan for not being able to make this more competitive. From the 419, thoughts on Jaden Ballard getting some packages this weekend, some speed out there like Olave in 2018, and Fleming is not cutting it. That's the 419. We we do have one that I'm saving, I think, for the, the preview pod, which is more like who are some under-the-radar guys you think could pop? Steven, I don't know. Jaden Ballard, Chris Olave's rise in 18 is something that even came up with Ryan Day this week. It's a great one to point to. You got a Ballard wrinkle that you think could happen here? If he was a slot, I'd be on board with this. But no... I, I, the thing with Olave, a lot had to go right for that to even be possible because if Austin Mack doesn't get hurt earlier in the season and put Chris Olave on the field against Michigan State, it, he doesn't have the runway to make that happen. It's not like Garrett Wilson's situation where he was just on the field all season. There was a buildup to the Chris Olave thing, and that's not available right now for Jaden Ballard. That would be really cool because he's, he's from Ohio. He's from Maslin, but I think – at receiver, they keep things pretty tight with Julian, Marvin, Emeka, and Xavier Johnson. I don't know why I said it in that order. I probably should have said Marvin first, but you get the drift. Those would be the those are the four I would expect to get serious run as receiver on Saturday. And listen, in eighteen, as you said, Austin Mack got hurt. They were in a, a real pure six man rotation there, mm-hmm. and Olave slid in as the sixth guy before the Michigan game. Even right. Terry McLaurin switched positions. They slid Olave in, and then Olave broke out against Michigan. But he was already in that rotation before that game. Jaden Ballard's not in the rotation right now. They're not going to change that rotation. They they're not lacking speed, right? They're not lacking anything at receiver. It's just like they need the passing game to be at its highest level. Um, Nathan, I have a flu question for you, and it's not about you potentially having the flu. From the 513, and again, I do think we gained information, right, about sort of last year's game through the reporting that was done for the story about the Angry Suns. Last year, we learned after the game that some players were impacted by the flu. Not that it changed the outcome, but is there any feel for either team if any players have been impacted recently? My kid's school has been walloped by it for the past couple of weeks, and I know how these things transmit on college campuses. Any chance we hear anything prior to Saturday morning? So, like, it doesn't feel like there was any kind of flu vibe when we were there on Tuesday, but what do you think in the end was the flu vibe a year ago, Nathan? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was worse than people knew uh, or that was widely known the day of, of the game. Um, you know, Stephen, uh, I think, had the, the comment from from Denzel Burke's father about, you know, guys being on IV drips that week. And um, it was Steel Chambers' dad that told me that it was like a, quote, freaking graveyard at the hotel the night before because so many guys were, <laughs> were just pounded by it. And, uh, you know, it's 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 a contributing factor. I don't think anybody wants to use that as an excuse. But, uh, you, you know, it's 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 a physical game. you got to find a way as a team to to persevere, I suppose. But no, we haven't heard anything as of, as of this point um, that would lead me to believe that that's happened. I do wonder if it how it affected the uh, not not to get controversial, not to get political. I do wonder if it affected how many guys got flu shots for this year. No, flu shots aren't controversial. People get flu shots. Well, uh, it is weird, like it's going to be part of the history. I think that uh, some, the in '69, that's part of the story of '69, right? The Bo gets the win in year one, but like those guys, I'll tell you now, like some of them were sick. So it's interesting. It's like one of the things you got to play. I, I don't think you know if everybody was a thousand percent 
uh, healthy from from an illness standpoint. Does that mean Ohio State would have won? But all these things do matter. You just like you can't be on alert. But it, there's not like nobody was coughing. You know, it's not like uh, everybody seemed good and healthy and and with it on Tuesday. So I don't think it's anything like to be uh, to be worried about. Um, let's do this really quickly. We're going to do, give ourselves one bit of nonsense because it is Thanksgiving week in the three, three Oh, what's the best Thanksgiving side dish. I can't be the only one wondering the order of this time for a Buckeye talk draft of side dishes. So let's do a quick two round side dish draft. Um, Nathan, we'll give you the first pick. What is your number one Thanksgiving side dish? So uh, this is going to be maybe controversial. I'm probably going off of people's draft boards, but like, some of these things are kind of regional and as, as important as mashed potatoes are to the meal, I think noodles are even more important. I think like it is the crucial thing. It's almost, I almost want noodles more than Turkey on Thanksgiving. My mom makes amazing noodles. Her mom made amazing noodles and they become like, we have to have noodles here at our house. Now, like my wife demands them for Thanksgiving and really any, any big holiday meal. So uh, I, I feel like I'm getting a steal. I probably could have waited, but I'm going to get noodles now because I'm just being true to my heart. Like that's that's the most important one. How are you I getting a steal like- when you had the first pick? That's not a steal. Yeah. Because you, you guys just noodles. don't know how good these freaking noodles are. <laughs> right, but if I it do. was a steal, you would have gotten it with like your seventh pick, not the first no, I pick. Do think, I think noodles might have been there in round four or round six. I don't know if we're doing snake draft or not. I do think like that's a Midwestern thing. My... My uh, wife's family is from Ohio. Her grandmother made noodles. That's a thing. But I do think part of the differentiation here is you don't only eat noodles at Thanksgiving. You eat noodles at every big family gathering. So it's not that the noodles are special. Well, it's just that they're so stinking good all the time. I would say just it's mostly like a Thanksgiving Christmas thing, like a holiday meal. We don't make, okay, we don't make holiday like, related in the summer or anything. No. You wouldn't have them just like a Sunday meal kind of thing. Um, you could, I suppose. We, but they're they're not they're not that frequent. No, it's a very it's very much okay. a holiday Steven, meal. Stephen, you get pick number. two. You get pick number two. Where are you going here? In this, this mac and cheese. Track. I got the steal. Mac Macaroni and cheese. and cheese is the greatest thing on this planet Earth. Is is it is it a thing that is at all specific? Is there a certain recipe or anything that is Thanksgiving, or is it just that? Mac and cheese is so good. It's not that it's special, but it's just awesome. My mother's macaroni and cheese is the greatest meal mankind has ever created. How often do you eat it? How many times a year? Just holidays, mostly. It is just holidays. Yeah. And then, like, she'll randomly make it at some, like, random time in the year just because she feels like making it. But for the most part, holidays. Because I do think there is a thing to it. It's like the specialness of it matters because like something can taste delicious but if you have it every thursday mm-hmm. it's like well it's just another thursday so i do think there's a balance there i'll take stuffing i, I think to me stuffing. i don't know when you eat stuffing other than at thanksgiving right. and again maybe yeah. at Christmas, but I, I eat stuffing like once a year and then you eat like three versions of it and everybody has their own different style to it there's a bit different million different ways to do it but again it's to me it's the specialness of the stuffing that would lead to me picking that really high. Uh, Nathan, we'll go back to you for pick number four here. By the way, I've never had macaroni and cheese at Thanksgiving, and I don't know that I ever will. Uh, I'm going to say cranberry sauce That's here. Not like a you problem. 
I want to say cranberry. Nathan's sauce. like noodles. Nathan took noodles number one, and now he has like opinions on other people's picks. He took noodles. That's what I'm saying. Got, noodles. I'm no you. one in the world understands one, yeah. noodles. And you and you and you telling us that but you have a macaroni and cheese for Thanksgiving. That sounds like a you problem. I, it's just never. Yeah. I'm just. I'm not saying yeah. it's right I mean, or wrong. Everybody's I'm just got saying, their own thing. I'm really not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just yeah. saying it's never. It's not on my family's Thanksgiving radar. No, I'm taking cranberry sauce here because. A lot of the things that are, and I, I agree with like all these picks, you know, that we've had so far. But like turkey, mashed potatoes, noodles, stuffing, um, they get it gets a little bit monochrome. So it's nice to be able to to have that cranberry sauce in there to bring a completely different flavor profile. Although I will say I much prefer like a homemade cranberry sauce as opposed to the thing that just plops out of a can. Whereas my mom is the opposite. She wants the can. She doesn't want anybody making some fancy cranberry sauce. Oh, <laughs> no fancy cranberry sauce. The, uh, I'm out on cranberry sauce. Steven, are you in on cranberry sauce? I think you're either in or you're out. You love it or you're like, I don't touch it. Yeah, it's not my favorite thing. It's yeah. one, I'll eat it if there's nothing else available, but I'll quickly substitute it for something else. All right. Pick five to you, Steven. Greens. Nice. Got to have some and type again, of vegetable there, man. Yeah. I feel like I, I'm, my, my picks are not very healthy. So my, my last one is a, is, a, is a decision between – I'm going to pick my, my tortured corn, which, again, is a very specific thing. Dried corn. It's like a Pennsylvania Dutch thing. My mom sends me a little bag of it. It's dried. It's like astronauts eat it. And then you make it with water, and you have to let it sit overnight in a pot with water. And then you can cook it the next day because you have to bring the corn back to life. It's like zombie corn. But I only eat it at holidays, and I love it, and I'm the only person who eats it. But also very high for me is rolls because I just mm. love rolls and butter. And you don't usually the Hawaiian have the ones to get like good – yeah, the Hawaiian – I bought – we're going out for Thanksgiving, but I bought a package of Hawaiian rolls at the store the other night. And I've just been eating them during the day. Again, I am diabetic. But it's just like I need rolls, soft rolls with butter because I I could eat those constantly, but I don't. So that does feel special to me. Very, very special bread. Nathan, you were not along for the rolls. We Yeah, so we don't do rolls. My mom makes a thing called monkey bread, which is – and I, there's a dessert version of this, which has like I think like sugar, cinnamon, frosting stuff. This is just – like mm-hmm. a buttery thing on the inside, kind of a crusty on the outside. You make it in kind of a bunt cake pan, I think, or whatever, <clears throat> like plop it upside down. But you just you just pull it off. It's kind of a communal thing. <clears throat> Sorry, you just pull off chunks of it, but very flaky, buttery bread. It's awesome. And and you just like you just there is there monkey available at the butcher in the bean field in Illinois? You just or you have to order the monkey special? No, you can rent the monkey. Like it's seasonal. <laughs> uh, you can rent the monkey. I think you better tell the person you're renting the monkey from that the monkey ain't coming back because the monkey's going straight in the bread. No, no, no. The monkey uh, tears the okay. bread off and passes it around. Oh, it's not that it's made of. It's that the monkey serves the bread. It's not that yeah, the monkey you're pulling it is off. in the yeah. bread. Delicious. No, oh, delicious. Monkeys are delicious. Uh, okay, let's do. Yeah, we got a couple more. We got a Ryan Day thing. We have to talk about Ryan Day. I want the three of us to talk about Ryan Day. And there's a really good question that I want to get to at the end. From the 513, Aaron Hake from the 513. With recruiting being down a little bit for Michigan, do you think it's possible for Ohio State to break them by dominating the run game on both sides of the ball? Or just in general, could Ohio State make such a statement that it sets them back? Steven, I do think that this has been a little bit of a story for Michigan this year, that Michigan had such a great year, beat Michigan, Made the playoff, but it's not like Michigan's recruiting is through the roof right now. 
I do think that this is potentially a fork in the road for the program. And like, is it a blip or is it a trend is really important. But do you think this could have an, what kind of effect do you think this would have either way for Michigan? Because I, I don't know that they've capitalized on the good of it, maybe as much as people anticipated. Yeah, and I think some of that is because the weirdness that was the offseason, especially in January and February when it was kind of a will he, won't he with Jim Harbaugh taking some NFL jobs or not. It feels like just from the outside looking at Michigan recruiting, they're on the edge with some guys, some pretty high-profile guys in 23 and 24, and there almost feels like this. Last year was interesting. You have my attention, but can you go do it again? And if this is 52 to 7, then you lose you've lost all the momentum now, right? Because you had a lot of momentum coming off of what last year was. And Jim Harbaugh's, the way he handled some things, chipped at it. And it chipped at it some more. And then your schedule wasn't that great. And here comes Ohio State. If Ohio State comes back and writes this ship very quickly here, you probably lose a lot of that momentum. So I don't want to say breaks Michigan because, I don't know, it's not like this is Clemson where they're going to the national championship every other year and then now all of a sudden they can't even make the playoff. But I do think that whatever momentum Michigan U built up in 2021 can be completely washed away if Ohio State just comes out there on Saturday and wipes the floor with Michigan. Yeah, I think I I think it just will put back put Michigan back to where they were. Yeah, but if they win again, I I do think it could build in a bigger way than even the one. Like again, it's not like Michigan's where Stephen. Where are they ranked nationally in in the twenty twenty three class? Right now they're twenty second. Right okay, so like I say, it's not like they're in the top five. If 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 it feels like there's a shift in the Big Ten. And again, there's it's recruiting strategy. It's how you go about it. It's the kind of offense and defense you play. It doesn't mean that Michigan is going to go start beating Ohio State for Texas and California and Georgia guys. But I do think it could be a win for Michigan, I think, would be an elevator for them, mm-hmm. potentially. A national profile, national attention, the types of players who may become interested because it's like, oh, no, no, no. They're for real. And Ohio State has a chance to sort of knock them back to where they were, which is very good but not a place that's really in competition to get top five classes on a regular basis. All right, this, Nathan, we just have to have a a Ryan Day conversation here. I'm going to run off some Ryan Day thoughts here, and then we'll talk about them all. This is from the 614. Obviously, the Bucs have an outstanding offense, and Ryan Day is very smart on that side of the ball. But I think sometimes Day overthinks things a bit, especially against the better teams. The offense seems to work at a slower pace. CJ constantly is looking over to the sideline, then going up to the line to talk to the lineman, then looking back to Day on the sideline, then back to the lineman. I think they, so like that kind of idea, right? I think that the offense has more of a rhythm and is more efficient when they go a little quicker up tempo. What do you think? We kind of did already have that conversation, but I think it's a a good thing. Um, It was a good text, and I want to make sure we get the texture credit for that. Let's go to this one from the 931. It's just mind-blowing to me how Ryan Day was content with giving Maryland a chance to win that game by just running the ball three times straight into the line and kicking a field goal, knowing the way Maryland had gone down the field so easily and taking a chance of that just being okay. I guess I guess it's trusting your defense, but man, they couldn't stop Maryland for anything, and I know it's easy to second-guess everything, but where's the killer instinct put my foot on your throat, Ryan Day? With the talent that this team has on the outside, at least trust your Heisman contending quarterback to make a play to seal that game. With that being said, I hope he comes out of the gate with this mindset and doesn't and isn't conservative and does not mess this game up. I hope he comes out 
like he did against Clemson that second time with maybe some hurry up offense and opening up the game playing right off the bat. I love the show and I'm looking forward to listening to it uh, every day that you guys are on. That's TJ from Smithville, Tennessee. So thank you, TJ, for that. Don't be conservative, Ryan Day. From the 316, if Ryan Day has held anything back for the game, what would you expect it to be? That's Billy in Kansas. And one more about Ryan Day from the 440. First of all, speaking for all Buckeye Talk listeners, appreciate you guys getting out all these podcasts on holiday week. Secondly, I've been nervous about the Michigan game because I was worried that maybe we had lost our edge on this game mattering. I've been proven wrong. Ryan Day moving senior tackle. The articles you guys have written showing how much this means to the players has me fired up for Saturday. This isn't a Michigan situation where they kept losing the game and made no changes. One loss in Ryan Day is like, this is unacceptable and can't happen again. It's restored my faith in him quite a bit. He's ready to get revenge on Michigan like he did on Clemson in 2020. So let's. those are a lot of different things, right? Nathan, let's start with the idea of being conservative versus like getting out and getting after it right away. What do you think about that? And then Ryan Day, how he will or should approach this? Well, the example that the texter used, when it's an in-game situation, I think it changes how aggressive you can be sometimes. Because Ohio State was trying to, you know, the clock is Ohio State's, the clock is supposed to be the ally of who has the lead at that point. Ohio State needed to get as much time off the clock as it could against Maryland at that point. So they they kicked the field goal to go up with like 90 seconds left. I get what the texter is saying, um, but I don't know that I took that as being, that feels like the prudent decision. Where we've seen Ryan Day be more aggressive is almost in early game scenarios. Whether it was the onside kick a couple years ago against Rutgers or or things like that, like I, I think you see that early in the game. He wants to get that ball rolling downhill and and really attack. What I think would help that though is a running game that is more consistent and helps Ohio State stay um, ahead of the sticks. I, I think that was some of what the texture the other texture was pointing out about you know, the, the flow of the offense and having to look over to the side, I think it's, it, I'd have to go back and like chart it, I guess, but just anecdotally, it seems different. If you're, if you're chunking out good gains on first and second yard, first and second down, I don't think that comes up as much. I think you're staying on schedule. It's when you have to adjust and change and, and you're in a, a less advantageous scenario that you have to do more of that checking to the sidelines. So uh, that I think would, some of this is what seems like a coach not being aggressive enough is a, what, what he has pointed out that like they're calling plays that are getting blocked correctly and they were not getting the gain that they needed to get off of those. And that was chunking everything up, throwing things off. Right. So I want to kind of divide some of this, Steven, the idea of holding something back for the game, which over the years has been like a thing that people love to talk about. I did talk about Jim Knowles and Jack Sawyer and the evolution of the Leo Jack. And could that be something we see even more of defensively against Michigan? You know, the idea, Jim Trestle lining up Ted Ginn Jr. as a yeah, tight I was end. Say that, yeah. I mean, like that's like the ultimate, right? You save that. And I think, Stephen, you had noted, we've, we've talked about, maybe it was Nathan too, the fourth and one against Northwestern, the C.J. Keep where he runs, it's like, uh, that might have been a Michigan play that they had to run in the wind to win that game. What else could it be, Stephen? Like, if there's an offensive thing that's like, aha, like, what would be left? I mean, I would love to see four wide receivers more often, but Ryan Day hates me, so we're not going to get that. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to think if there's anybody who's – a skill position who played some quarterback in high school. Maybe they pull out mm. the old 
halfback or wide receiver pass or something like that. Um, and CJ Stroud catches a touchdown pass. I don't know. I'm just Donovan being Edwards. Donovan yeah. Edwards threw a touchdown against Iowa last year in the Big Ten yeah, Championship game. Yeah. So I'm I'm just getting creative at this point. There clearly both sides of the ball. There's probably going to be some stuff, some formations we haven't seen yet, some plays we haven't seen yet, or maybe just some stuff that they've been putting this on film because and they've been putting it on film all year because they're setting up this over here. Whether it's with the Jack, some of that is just Jack getting more comfortable playing it, but also. We just might see it more in this game than we've seen it in other games, or it's some of what a lot of the stuff that they've done on offense this year, whether it be the I formation stuff or the jet sweep stuff where they're faking it and throwing deep passes. Of course, there's going to be something. I think that's part of the aggressiveness, but then also to the conversation. I think there are a lot of fans who are like, why do we take our foot off the gas in the second half? That has been a constant conversation with Ryan Day. And sometimes the answer is because we're up 30 and it's time to get out of here and move on. Because like Ryan Day, I mean, like Nathan just said, that time is your friend when you are up in the fourth quarter. I think people might get what they want from Ryan Day on Saturday if this game goes in their favor. And I don't think he's going to take his foot off the gas because it's a rivalry week. So if you want to see full gone aggressive Ryan Day for 60 minutes, you better hope Ohio State's winning on Saturday because we're going to see that. But then with that, there's even you know cons to that because Urban Meyer did that in 2018. He didn't take his foot off the gas, and he lost his right guard in the process, Demetrius Knox. So you guys can get hurt when you're playing aggressive like that. That That's a risk you got to be willing to take. But I would assume that, let's just say it's 37 to 10 in the fourth quarter. Day's going to try to score three more touchdowns in the fourth quarter because of everything we've been talking about this entire pod. So, Nathan, one other thing I wanted to ask you about specifically, and this was an important thing. Senior tackle has been moved, and that has been something that they have typically done this week, and it has been moved to bowl season so that they're not trying to cram in people getting to go eat a Thanksgiving dinner, which they do do. They they change their schedule on Thursday, so guys have the afternoon off to go eat either with their families locally or if not, you know, the guys who don't have families locally do have a place to go eat. Uh, And then they've been trying to like that senior tackle. It's a moment where you have like a final last tackle. They acknowledge all the seniors. It's a lot to do. It is a lot to do. And I think the the way Ryan Day talked about it was almost more like, I want to make sure that we give those seniors their proper moment by not trying to cram senior tackle into this week. But there's also a part of like, we're trying to beat Michigan. Like let's not have this little extra celebration that really is not about this. That's not nothing, Nathan. Again, the idea of like we're making the main thing the main thing, and the main thing this week is beat Michigan, and we'll do this other thing later. I thought it was an interesting little revelation that that was a change. I mean, the way that my ears heard it was you only have, by NCAA mandate, a certain number of minutes that you can be practicing with these guys in an organized way, and we're not wasting – not wasting is the wrong word. We're not using any of them for anything ceremonial this week. But but wait, but wait, but wait, but wait, but wait. But they always had before. So mm-hmm. like they're doing right. but like so what do you think it is? Why do you think it changed this year? Because they lost last year. What do you mean? Why do I think it changed this year? I mean, this is the first time they lost in a long time. They haven't lost back to back in twenty two years. They do not want to be the team that um breaks that streak. So from what I've or you you may correct me if I'm wrong, I think they've moved senior tackle before. Like in the bowl season, I don't think this is like unprecedented that it's never been moved before. And so it again, it just seemed like I think from a from a game planning standpoint, a, a focus standpoint, like they want as much football focus 
preparation as they can get. And they don't want to encroach on the family time later. This seemed like a sensible compromise. No, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a little indication. It's a little indication of like, oh, what did you do? You lost to Michigan. What did you do differently? Well, here's one thing we did. And it gave us X amount of more focus. Last two. Steven from the 330. Should Ohio State fans rush the field on Saturday if the Buckeyes come away with the win? What do you think? Should they? Yes, this is the exception. Will they? Yes. One, because they beat Michigan, but also they rush the field every year during the last game of the season. This is just normally what they do. Because they did it against Michigan State last year. They did it against Penn State in 2019. Ohio State fans rushed the field the last game of the year because they let them do that. So there's extra incentive to do it this year, though. Yes. It'll be a while before we finally get to talk to C.J. Stroud on Saturday if they win. Yeah. And they missed the 2020 game. So as you pointed out, right? Um, our guy Jacob from the Lantern was asking this week, like, man, there's like Ohio State students who have never seen an Ohio State Michigan game in Ohio Stadium, right? There's an extra part mm-hmm. of this, like, oh, it's in our house, like it's awful loss, but also we didn't get to do this. We haven't done this in four years, and there there are great moments. I mean, some of the lasting memories, right? I mean, to me, some of the great Ohio State wins, oh six, some of the like, it's that post game is part of it. Mm-hmm. That's like part of what's ingrained in in your head of when you picture a big Ohio state win over Michigan and Ohio stadium, that post game is part of it. So I know yeah. there are some people who get very cranky about field rushing or, or what do you think? Nathan, are you one of them or are you okay on a field rush? If Ohio state wins, I'm okay with it. Just be safe. You know, one of the perspectives I got from what we wrote earlier this week was Ohio state parents. And again, these aren't college students. So maybe they're, and then they're the team that just lost. So that affects their, their perspective too, but talking about, there were just Michigan people and they weren't even running down the aisles. They were just kind of running over the seats, trying to get down to the field to rush the field. So it's, it's to bring up the phrase that Jim Knowles used about defensive scenarios earlier this week, like controlled chaos, like get to the field, but try to do it without trampling people. Papa Baird checking in with uh Be sage words. <laughs> Be safe. Last one. Oh, this was a great text. Andy from the 330. For the born on third comment, I'd like Buckeye Talk's opinion on what base Jim Harbaugh was born on. I think it's second. I understand he didn't inherit a playoff-ready team that they helped build, by the way. But he did inherit the rivalry, the fan base, the big house. Recruiting is easier at Michigan than Minnesota. Harbaugh is just mad that Day is a better coach. All right, so if Jim Harbaugh thinks Ryan Day was born on third base, what base was Jim Harbaugh born on, Nathan? Uh, man, I don't. I first base. Why first? You know, you're taking over a, a program that uh, was regressing, and you're taking over a program literally right after your huge rival just won the national championship. And uh, is is clearly a tier above you, and now you're kind of uh, having to 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 chase that ghost for the entire first eight years of your your existence. Um, so, but but also, it's not like he was starting from nowhere because, as I've said many times, um, Michigan wasn't supposed to be that bad. Michigan was supposed to be 
closer to where it is now. I don't know if they can sustain this forever, but what they're doing right now with the, the, the history of this program, the prestige of this program, the resources of this program, this is closer to where they're supposed to be. What base, Steven? I think this quote is the most annoying thing in the world because it's getting twisted all these different ways that it's not supposed to mean. He went up to bat. No strikes, no balls. Ryan Day took over a completely healthy program that was one of the best in the country for his first ever head coaching job. That's why Jim Harbaugh said he was born on third base. Jim Harbaugh took over a Michigan program who had made back-to-back terrible hires. Awful hires. And as Nathan said, his first year on the job was a year that Ohio State had just won a national championship. So they're on as high of a horse as possible while Jim Harbaugh is having to start from scratch. The, I, so if, I, if I'll give him anything, because he played football at Michigan, is the son of a, of a coach, and he had been a coach for a while, even had a team playing the Super Bowl, I'll say that he went up to bat knowing exactly what the pitcher was going to throw. But other than that, he had a normal transition for a guy taking over a college football program, and that's that he had to rebuild something that sucked. But that had a lot of inherent things ready there for him. So, yeah. um, so you don't like the third base comment? I think the third base comment is like fertile ground. I, I love think the third base comment is like one of the ten most important things ever said in the history of the rivalry. I love the trash talk of of what that comment was. I have grown to despise the conversations that have been spun out of it. So you hate this texter's question? No, I don't hate the question. I don't no, want to say hate, I hate the okay. question. You can tell the texters. Go ahead, just text the texter. No, I don't hate the question. I, I just, I just think I, I, I feel like it. we've had a year of whether it's fans or even people on this beat trying to find a way to apply it to what Michigan's doing. When it was just a moment of trash talk, dude. You lost. You got to oh, no, deal no, with no, it. No, 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 no. It wasn't a moment of trash talk. It was Jim Harbaugh expressing a deeply held belief about Ryan Day. Oh, in listen, the moment. it was like, definitely, listen, yeah. it, was tra- it was definitely a, a calculated moment of trash talk that he had been holding in ever yeah, since. So he, that uh, really matters. He revealed what he really thinks, which is, yeah, I yeah, had to build I'm, this I'm, from listen, the ground I'm not up. saying it he wasn't. He handed a national championship program. That is the fundamental thought yes. that one coach has for the other. It is incredibly important and I don't think we can talk about it enough. I don't like the way. Yeah, but we can talk about it in a way that's not. Oh, but what does that mean about Michigan's program? And what base did, did Jim Harbaugh start? He didn't start on any base. Michigan sucked a decade ago. Okay, so I'm going to stop because I completely disagree with all of that. And I'm going to talk. So he inherited when you inherit a great program that's at the bottom. It actually is filled with almost only opportunity. So Brady Hoke and Rich Rodriguez blew it, and he was back as a savior. And by the way, he got to be the savior at Michigan because coincidentally, in his dad's long coaching career, they happened to live in Michigan when from Jim Harbaugh was from 10 to 17. That's when Jack Harbaugh was a coach at Michigan, from 73 mm-hmm. to 79. It's not like Jack Harbaugh coached at Michigan for 30 years. He went from there to be Stanford's defensive coordinator. He was at Iowa before he was at Michigan. He was at Bowling Green before that. Jim Harbaugh was like born into being a Michigan quarterback, which made him born into being the head coach because he happened to be a teenager when his dad was at Michigan. Otherwise, he might be doing this at Iowa or he might be doing this at Western Kentucky. So Jim Harbaugh had as 
could have everything you want for a coach coming in. And he was sort of given the opportunity of this great program stinks. So you like, there's nowhere to go, but up. So I think he was brought in on second base. Now it's tough. You got to do it, but he had everything you need to do it. So yes, Ryan Day as an outsider was handed a very good football team, was handed an elite national championship caliber football team. But it's not like Jim Harbaugh, this is not going to a program that's never done it. You're asked to restore something and you're viewed as a savior to come in and do it. So like the opportunity that you have to restore it is pretty high. Right now, listen, Scott Frost didn't do it. Scott Frost blew it. But also there's inherent things at Nebraska that are not the same as the inherent things at Michigan. Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke sucked, but Michigan never should have been that bad. So the idea that I think Jim Harbaugh deserves a ton of credit for what he's done, but he also had tremendous opportunity when, when he got that chance to do it. But the same thing can be applied to Texas and USC. We've seen coaches go there and completely mess that up as well. I... Yeah, but, agree but the, with, the uh, people who are going to be the the coaches at Texas and USC fine. didn't play quarterback at that. Stage. I agree with the idea that he was set up in a situation where he could succeed. He was put, he was in the best situation to help a team who had sucked for the past four or five years after making two bad coaching hires. I don't think that means he started on base. I think it means he was in the he was put in the best possible position to get on base. You, you guys are kind of missing. But I think the fact that the the, the crucial thing about this which is it wasn't what was the full quote it was sometimes people are born on third base and Some think they think- hit a triple so it wasn't jim harbaugh quibbling about where they started it was about how it was about ryan day's personality as much as anything else right it was about how ryan day carried himself it's the the thinks he hit a triple that i think is the crucial part not the born on third base and that's where that's where it's a little salty, right? That's where it gets a little personal, and that's where there's a little bit of a dig. So I, I think maybe the difference is that Jim Harbaugh might even come here and say, guys, this is Michigan. I'm a Michigan guy. Look at what this program's done in the past. Look at what we can do. I was born on third base too, but I know it. I'm not trying to tell you I hit a triple. Well, we're having a conversation about what base, and you voted first base, and Stephen voted home plate. So don't say that he might admit that he was born on third base because you guys don't think he was. Well, I'm just, but I do think you make an interesting point that it's about your perception of where what you were handed as a head coach and do you appreciate the opportunity. So I do think that is a distinction that you're you're arguing it's not even a third base comment. It's a think he hit a triple discussion, much more than a third mm-hmm. base. Although this question was about third base. What it, I, so, I understand. I understand. So what base do you think Harbaugh was on? Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think? Uh, All right. So the votes Ryan are Day's- home plate, first base, and I'll vote second. Base. Do you guys think Ryan Day is a better coach than Jim Harbaugh? Do I think Ryan Day is a better coach than Jim Harbaugh for like blank team X to hire somebody to take over good team X and try to win? I think it's close. I do think it's close. I do think Jim Harbaugh is an acquired taste, and I do think he runs his course, and I do think he fits better at Michigan than he would fit anywhere else. But mm-hmm. Ryan Day's never made a Super Bowl, so I don't think we can sit here and be like, oh, Ryan Day's a better coach than Jim Harbaugh. It's like, Ryan Day's never what, – what are we talking about? Ryan Day was like a failed assistant in the NFL. Now, I don't know if it's all his fault because his head coach got fired, but the head coach in the NFL that was his mentor got fired for failing at two places, and those are the only two places Ryan, Jay, Ryan Day was ever employed in the NFL – and it wasn't like an NFL team didn't say to Ryan Day, hey, come be our offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. As soon as Chip gets fired, 
he had to come back to college. Now, had to, you know, Ohio State offensive coordinator, that's a great opportunity. But, I mean, anybody who would be like, oh, Ryan Day, it's like Jim Harbaugh made a Super Bowl. Yeah. So I, I think they are both very good. I think Harbaugh at in the college game, I think Harbaugh at Michigan fits better than he would at any. But I did, like if an NFL team was going to hire a head coach, I think they're both legitimate candidates. And I think Ohio's Ryan Day's style of offense would translate. And I think his ability to lead a program has translated. But also, like Jim Harbaugh played in the NFL. And then, so. And they're both supposed to be, and they're both quarterback coaches by trade. So it's not like Ryan Day would, yeah. he has that over him. TBD. Yeah, I think, it, you know, the text. I think they're both very good candidates for almost any job. The texter said it in a very, like, matter of fact way. And I think it, it's very much up in the air going into Saturday. How, how much conviction you can yeah, put I behind think, that statement. And even with that, I think, depending on what happens Saturday, I might be able to answer the question, but I still don't know if I'll have that much conviction behind it. It might because be, the, oh, the, I think it's Harbaugh. Well, I think it's Day, but I need to see more data points. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is a little weird. I and mean, Jim Harbaugh would admit to that. Like the yeah. whole conversation about when, when was, is Jim Harbaugh at Michigan coming to an end? It was usually in the context of, is he going back to the NFL? Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, are they going to fire Jim Harbaugh and he's going to have to bag groceries? It's like, oh, will he like fail back into the highest level of competition by going back to the NFL because he's viewed as a person who might be one of the 32 best head coaches in football anywhere? So I do think like the conversation was like, is this just like not working at Michigan? Right, what Michigan wants to be viewed as the savior, he can't get over the top. He's not recruiting the right way, but like football acumen, um, you know, hire a staff, lead a program. Uh, I mean, I you know, again, the guy made a Super Bowl, so I do think. Uh, but I, and I don't know that Nathan, you said we'll find out Saturday. How much well, do you view? And we'll get out of here on this. How much do you view Saturday as a battle of like Ryan Day versus Jim Harbaugh, and the best coach is going to win? No, I, I guess I don't necessarily look at it that way. But I'm just—I was just—it was more me saying I don't know how you definitively say, well, Ryan Day is clearly a better coach than Jim Harbaugh if he's one and two against Jim Harbaugh after Saturday. But I do think it's a huge game for Day's legacy standing right now. I mean, Ohio State coaches don't have losing records against Michigan especially like multiple games into their careers. I know 2020 was taken away from them. That seemed like a year where even that, that Ohio State team would have had its way with a Michigan team that had a lot of issues that year. But it, you, you are what your record is. What's the old, what's the saying? I don't know. It might be you are what your record is. Yeah, I, I don't think know. That you're referencing. Yeah, it's probably that. Um, so I did, I actually meant to include this on the Rants podcast and I, and I did and I looked this up. John Cooper, Jim Trestle, Urban Meyer. The percent of games against Michigan where Michigan was a top five team, a top 10 team, or a top 25 team. So the number of times that Michigan was a top 10 team. Urban Meyer, 29% of the time, two out of seven. John Cooper, 23% of the time, three out of 13. Jim Trestle, 10% of the time, one out of 10. That their Michigan foe was a top five team. 06, right? Only time for Tress. But they were a top 10 team, which also includes being a top five team. Top 10 team. John Cooper, 38% of the time Michigan was. Trestle, 30%. Urban Meyer, 29%. Urban played two. It's the same. He played two top five teams, but also only two top 10 teams. Number of times they were a top 25 team. Uh, Cooper, 92% of the time. Trestle, 70% of the time. Meyer, 57% of the time. So the thing about Coop is like Coop played a good Michigan team every year. Now, 210 and one is not acceptable. Coop really got in trouble. There was a time, I mean, again, Five out of 13 years, he was playing a top 10 team, and they like Ohio State would be like 
two and Michigan would be four and they'd lose. Coop got in trouble at the end when Ohio State was like in the top five and Michigan was in the 20s and they would lose. But Michigan never fell off a cliff for Coop like they did for part of Trestle and part of Urban Meyer. So again, that's the point. Top 10 team percent. Again, Cooper 38, Jim Trestle 30%, Urban Meyer 29% of the time, right? That the Michigan team they played was top 10. Ryan Day, 100%. They were number 10 in 2019. They were number six last year. They're number three now. Now, go tell it to the fans when you lose to Michigan. But we have to understand that, right? We have to understand that. As great as Trestle and Urban were, they both got the benefit of some Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke terrible stuff. And then the beginning of Harbaugh having to rebuild it. Even like the version of Harbaugh that Urban faced is not maybe the quite version that Ryan Day is facing now. Not an excuse. But when you say things like, hey, well, you know, your record against Michigan, Woody wasn't, Woody didn't beat Michigan every year. Mm-hmm. Woody was competitive with Michigan. Earl Bruce didn't beat Michigan every year. Earl Bruce was competitive with Michigan. It was like a coin flip. It was like 60-40, right? It was a super competitive game. Why? Because both teams were awesome. And it was a slobber knocker. It's not that Woody, Woody wasn't 9-1 and one in the 10-year war like Tress was. So if we're going to enter an era where Michigan's awesome, Stephen, I just think we might have to come to grips with 9-1 and one and 7-0, and oh, Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer. That might be a thing of the past for any Ohio State coach. So you can say... Wow, Ryan Day one and two, that would be a problem. But that's three top 10 Michigan teams. It's not an excuse, but do, does that context matter to any degree in your mind? It no, does. I it guess. doesn't. I, I think we're past it. I think Trestle and I think Urban Meyer and Jim Trestle ruined the rivalry. It's no longer viewed that same way where this is a competitive, the 10 year war is over. And that building's mine, and on that university's mine, and his fan base is mine. This is a rivalry. This is a game Ohio State is supposed to win. And if you lose it too many times in a row, you're gone. So Ryan Day loses on Saturday. I think it gets really interesting if he loses again the following year, regardless of the changing landscape of college football with the playoff. Like, you think the 10-year war can never come back? Like, obviously, it's changed the view. But it's like, it's suddenly, if you don't win... 70 or 80% against your games against Ohio State, like you're in trouble. I, like an even the, the 10-year war was 5-4 and 1. Yeah. And like I, that that can never happen again. That's I don't that, think that's so. never allowed I, to happen. I don't think so. I think I think we've been programmed to think a little differently about this now. I don't think so. It I would mean, be cool, it, but I I don't think that would be tolerated anymore. In a 12-team playoff where the winner and loser both get in, it wouldn't be tolerated. No. The fans can't tolerate so the fans uh-uh. can't tolerate an equal version of the run because the discussion, the I discussion don't. no, the discussion we had three weeks ago was like, what if they lose four or five in a row? Yeah. The discussion is like, could you tolerate where it flips, where all of a sudden Ryan Day's one and four? That's different. Like Ryan Day's one and two, then they win next. Like, what if Ryan Day's like four and four in the rivalry? That's intolerable. I that's don't, a different discussion than it flips. Yeah, yeah, that's a very different discussion than this, like, Ryan Day doesn't beat But Michigan. you're saying, that, Stephen, it's intolerable. You're saying the 10-year war in the modern day is intolerable. I don't, think, I don't think fans would tolerate a situation like but that, t- where Michigan was winning more consistently. Nathan, what do you think? I, I think that they would... Because this is a different conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but I think, again, I think that perspective is important. If it's because Michigan is a top-five program every year... 
I think people would adjust to that. I mean, look look at the Alabama Auburn series that was having this that sort of back and forth for a long time. Um, it wasn't preventing Alabama from still being considered one of the best programs in the country, even though it occasionally lost to Auburn. I mean, the best rivalry. It's, it's supposed to be closer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It just is. I know that's what you want in your heart. You want Ohio State to go in and flatten Michigan every year. But if Michigan's one of the five best programs teams in the country, that's not realistic. You're going to lose those games sometimes. 10-year war, both teams were in the top 10, seven out of 10 years. Yeah. And 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 nobody, I don't know that anybody on either side looks back and says like, ah, oh, the 10-year war, that sucked because we only won half the time. Right. Like, but, what do okay, you mean? but that's without the context of coming off a situation where you just dominated it for 20 years. I think. No, I know. Like you're saying that, that, that it's ruined forever. I that Ohio State fans can never tolerate you're, because we understand they wouldn't tolerate Michigan dominating, but you're now saying Ohio State fans can no longer tolerate an equal rivalry. So you are saying Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer raised the standards so high that Ohio State fans will never tolerate a head coach that doesn't do that. Only you have to dominate Michigan, or you can't be here. That's what you are saying right now. Yeah, I think that's where we've gotten to. Because Nathan, even you bring up the Auburn. I mean, that's been a competitive series for decades. We don't have. Oh, 20 years of Alabama just wiping the floor with Auburn. That's been a thing. I don't, I think that Ohio State fans have spent the last 20 years being reprogrammed for how this rivalry works. When and I, so I don't think it would be tolerated the same way anymore. When I hear Ohio State fans talk about this, they text at us, we have conversations with them. They don't say we can't go back to the seven year war. Now, a lot of them weren't the 10 year war, a lot of them weren't around back then, obviously. But like they're not saying what they say is it can't go back to Cooper. It can't go back to two nine and one. It can't go back to where Michigan is the dominant team in the rivalry. But I don't hear the same fear for a situation where there are two of the five best teams in the country and it's hard to go on the road and beat the number five team in the country. I don't care if it's your rival or not. I think, and again, a little piece of what I was saying a couple weeks ago does apply because the perspective of the stakes of this game are going to change. They are. They are. They're going to change when there's no divisions in the Big Ten and you play them again the next week, which is what they'd be doing this year if that was already applied. And it'll change because of the 12-team playoff. It's The perspective for some portion of the fan base will change because it'll be a new reality that it's very hard. It's hard to take the emotions you feel right now and apply them to a reality that doesn't exist until it happens. I think... And to the point of they're thinking it can't go back to the 90s. I think that's part of the reason why I'm saying I'm on the fence that I'm on is we're so far removed from an actual back and forth in this rivalry. We saw a decade of Michigan and we've seen 20 years of Ohio State that that fan base who actually got to experience that. Is so much older now and not always the loudest bunch because they're not the young people anymore. That's just how it works. When you're younger, you're louder. Typically that that's not true. I'm the <laughs> oldest person Lever- and the loudest person on this. Yeah. <laughs> unless you're Doug Lavery's, that you were always loud and, and yeah, unless you're always loud. But I just, I think now that we're so far removed from this ever being an actual competitive rivalry that we do get that. We, that we get the, we either get the, no, you need to win every year. You need to win every year because that's what we do. Or we get the, this cannot go back to what it was in the 90s where we're losing games we shouldn't be losing because we're that far removed from it. So that's why I, yeah. I think it's, I, I don't think they would tolerate it. 
And if they did, it would take a long time for them to finally get to the point where it's like, oh, well, this is what it is now. Well, we'll find out. I we'll find so. out because we're going to get feedback on this conversation. We definitely sure. will. But I would just, I, I just I like to definitely, point out. definitely, definitely disagree. Like losing once every three years against Michigan when they're a top five team, is that worse than losing having one loss every year like Iowa or Purdue? Like those are the those are the bad losses. Losing on the road to a number five Michigan team hurts, but it's not a problem for your program. It's not. Well, it's a problem for the fans. The fans would say that any loss to Michigan is the worst kind of loss you can have, as, as much as the Iowa and Purdue losses mm-hmm. uh, were painful. Losing to Michigan is different. But the idea of – I think it doesn't matter if Michigan's good. Right. And right. I do, That's again, the, the 12-team I'm... playoff will change this. But, but, but if Michigan is good, Michigan being good does not let you tolerate 2-10-1. That was the previous conversation right. we had. I said you're never going to get a coach who's going to be allowed to live through that because mm-hmm. that would be intolerable. You can't let it be one-sided. For it to be – relatively equal, but both teams are viewed as two of the five best programs. And in a given year, two of the five best teams. And then the added thing is both can make the playoff. I think that is quite tolerable to everybody. Was it be what Ohio state fans pick, but I don't think Ohio state fans would be disappointed with their program or feel like they needed a new coach. If Michigan's good and sometimes Ohio State loses. So yeah. I will be really curious. I'm going to poll this. I'm going to poll this. We'll poll this. We can come back on this next week because I will poll this, and we're going to have a different view of it, right, based on yeah. is it a competitive game on Saturday, which either way does it go. Like this new – we might be entering a new reality here. And so this is – this is I be, we got to get to our folks on this. Tech subscribers, 614-350-3315. I will send a multi-part poll about this next week. And we will dig in on this, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys think about that. All right, that went long. We can't help it. Sorry. We still have to do a preview podcast that will drop later this week. We, uh, we still have a gambling podcast ahead. We always appreciate you guys being part of this. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.